We are officially recording now on audio and on Facebook Live. I'm Aisha Elliott. This is Black Girl from Eugene. Welcome to my little hour of conversation or more. Um, before we get started, as per usual, I want to thank all of my supporters through pa- that support me through Patreon. I appreciate you. I appreciate your consistency and your undoubted uh, faith in my work and my journey. And I hope it just gets interesting and more interesting and you all want to continue to support me because that is why I do this work, um, to get it out. So without further ado, (laughs) I haven't been in, I haven't had guests in a long time. And so I bet you people are like, she doesn't have friends anymore. I promise you, I still have people I talk to, but, um, (laughs) I'm in my last week of living in the United States or I'm in my last two weeks. And um, so I thought it only right to send off with a very poignant and deeply loved group of people um, that I've worked with for a very long time. And um, we are going to get into it. And we're going to talk about our collective work together with the Oregon Country Fair. And um, this, this episode is going to be where DEI goes to die. So here we are. Welcome, everybody, to my little space, my little platform. Um, we have been talking off before we got uh, we started recording, and so we are ready to go. We have, we're going to start from the beginning and go all the way until present day so you can understand um, why DEI goes to die in this particular space in time. So y'all all know me, um, so I won't spend any time introducing myself again. So I'm going to let the group introduce themselves. And again, before we do get to those introductions, we do have some people missing and we do have some written statements from the person who is missing. And um, so as that comes up, you might want to, uh, you know, give that insight of like Melissa stated this and to kind of do it that way. If you want to, you can do it however you want. So I'm going to let the group introduce yourselves. Who's going first? Nice. I'll do it. I'm loud. I'm cool with that. My name is Iana, and um, I have been going to this particular event, this festival, this private party in the woods for my entire life. The first time I went was in my mother's utero, and I've also been doing youth empowerment work since I was an uh, empowered youth or attempting to be. Um, and my facet at this event right now, and the reason I got involved in the diversity committee was because I'm trying to bring hip hop to an event that tends to be rather, um, white and rather folk music focused. There's a big kind of argument within the community between acoustic and electronic music, and there's kind of some cultural clashes. So I actually started this crew. Um, the initial proposal was actually like a 50 person crew that was supposed to be kind of an intergenerational cross-cultural communication tool for the event to try to bridge the divide and help transfer power, you know, to the next generation. Um, that was a good 17 years ago. And we, you know, have not done a great job. We've done a great job putting on a good show, but the change hasn't really gone down. So I, um, became a part of this diversity committee to see what was up. And that was during pandemic these last two years. And, mm. you know, I feel less hope. <laughs> I feel like diversity has come to die for sure. Like after being a part of this, although I do feel empowered by some of the badass people that are a part of this committee, um, like you all. So I do think there's definitely hope, but there's so much change that needs to go down. So yeah, yeah that's who I am in this facet. 
Amen to that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for saying all that. And, and everyone who is listening, we will explain what Country Fair is. Um, and like I said at the very beginning, collectively, we are uh, a good portion of the diversity kit committee of the Oregon Country Fair. So, but we will we'll get into that in just a second. I just want to make sure everyone gets to introduce themselves first. Thank you so much, Iana. Go ahead. I can go. My name's Bethania. Um, gosh, I've been coming to fair for about 10 years now before I stopped coming. And it was a really special space for me. It was a space where I could really grow in the stuff I was passionate about and um, find ways to, to put that into the community. So I'm really passionate about transformative justice as a way of navigating harm within community, as a way of dismantling the structures that create hierarchies and put hold people in positions of power to different standards um, and hold folks accountable and use resources of really powerful organizations like the fair to create change, not just in their community, but in the surrounding communities and globally. Um, and um, I am on the recycling crew of the Oregon Country Fair and did a lot of work around trying to respect our lands and teach people skills that they can bring outside of the event to um, reducing their footprint. And um, yeah, I just love being on the diversity committee was my favorite experience at fair. I got on right before COVID um, and yeah, everything that's gone down that you guys will hear about is so devastating because we've never the, the folks you see here never got to do a fair together <laughs> since all we've been through in the diversity committee. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's so true. Wow. Yeah. That's true. We never even got to hang. It was yeah. good too. I mean, yeah. It would have been think so about, good. It would have been good. It's so good. It's, uh, <laughs> God, we'll talk about that too. Just like, <laughs> we'll talk about that for a second. You just reminded me after we're all done, I think that we should say what our, um, our identities because people who are on the audio won't see like and I think it's important and I know that all of us bring that to the plate we're all like very much um in representation of our own lived experiences and our own lived and bring it to the greater good not to represent only ourselves but to the to the um to the experience that we've not only had ourselves but to the greater good of our our communities, and we represent such a wide range. So I think that we should definitely, after we uh, go through, to definitely like give our identity so that the folks can mm -hmm. understand a little bit more context. Okay, sorry, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> well, I'll do that. So my name is Brooks. I use he, him, and they, them pronouns. Uh, I work in the nonprofit space here in Eugene. I'm an LGBTQ activist. I'm a white gender non-conforming person and I organize festivals. I serve on equity panels. I've been a member of the Country Fairs Diversity Committee and had previously coordinated what up until um, this past fair had been the fair's only dedicated square space. Um, and I started going to the Country Fair in 2003 and have had similar experiences, kind of life altering, transformative, amazing experiences and these truly kind of devastating um, experiences as well. And so 
I joined this committee um, because of my own kind of personal experience of experiencing homophobia at the fair during the event um, because, and I have actually left the fair once over this um, personal experience and was asked to come back to do DEI work by other queer activists and professionals in the community who had been being mistreated and were kind of out of steam to keep the, the work moving forward. Um, I, you know, joined because of reports and observations of the way marginalized folks um, have been treated, especially trans people and black folks. I mean, I've seen that firsthand. I've heard about it from especially trans youth and their parents um, kind of exasperated, not knowing what to do, where to go and, and hearing, hey, you're someone talking about this. Here's my experience sort of thing. And I think we all have had people kind of report to us because there's no real safe place to report, um, including in our meetings. Um, mm -hmm. and. <laughs> I joined because I thought if any organization had the potential, it was this quote unquote magical fairy gathering of ostensibly like-minded liberals who were trying to make the world a better place. And so mm -hmm. in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement following kind of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd's murder in the wake of COVID, you know, we kind of went all in, um, a bunch of us, especially in the smaller group here, went all in to try to really transform the organization to what I say it is, which is, you know, its number one goal to be a diverse place and to include diverse people um, is supposedly the goal of the organization. And so we thought, here we go, let's do it. This is our time. You know, if there's going to be a time mm -hmm. when there's no event and we can do this, we can do the work, we can set it up so that when we come back, you know, we're treating people better, we're including people better, we have more diversity, we have better representation of, you know, even the communities in our own town that are um, diverse, like the Latino community. Um, and, you know, it was, I guess, disappointing and it's sometimes infuriating to see the organization run in the opposite direction, um, despite this opportunity and to really squander and waste what is likely a once in a generation, if not longer, opportunity to really do the hard work that's necessary to make the fair what it says it is. Dude, did you write that down? Because that was like so smooth in front of the right? Yana, I was like, I was fucking, I'm so impressed. <laughs> I'm like, and we're done. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, like, wait a minute. <laughs> See, you wrote that down. Like, that was very smooth, books. <laughs> <laughs> I was just speaking slowly. You were. Slow down. <laughs> it comes out right. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, I mean, you said so much that I'm just like, uh, yes, and yes, and all of that, and yes, some more. Um, thanks for sharing your pronouns as well. And um, I, I definitely feel like everything you just said is so much that we can talk. I mean, we are going to talk about so much of that. But the fact that you brought up something that I don't think that a lot of people understand about this group is that you said activists and professionals, right? Not just folks who are off the street like, oh, hey, I want to like, you know, talk about something or I think something should be different. Like we actually have not only invested our lives in the fair to this change, but we do this outside the fair. So we're not just dressing up and being activists during, you know, the three months that it takes to build, but, or the six months or whatever, and put a patch on top of it. We actually do this work in and out and morning and night. And we live it. So I thought that was super important to bring up. Uh, so thanks for doing that. And Emma, you are not last and you're not least. But <laughs> you are last but not least. I like, <laughs> I like to see what I like to see what other people are doing and be like, okay, this is what we're doing. Um, so yeah, my name is Emma. Um, I use she, her pronouns. Uh, I'm white bodied um, and I am disabled, which is the most important thing about my identity. Um, 
I've been disabled since I was 16 years old, and I started going to the fair about 12 years ago now, 2012. Um, I didn't really know what I was getting into, which tends to be my MO. I jump and then ask, what did we just do? <laughs> um, and yeah, I've been in the, in the decade that I've been volunteering with the fair, um, I've been a crew coordinator. Um, I've been a regular volunteer. I've sat on a hiring committee. I've served on the diversity task force and then the committee. Um, I've gone to countless board meetings in the six years that I was a coordinator. Um, yeah, I really just tried a little bit of everything out because I had never had a community before. You know, I've lived all over. I've sort of made friends where I've landed. And I decided when I went to the fair with my core group of friends, I was like, okay, this is a community. And like, this is what it sold me. The fair sold me a community. It was like, we're a family. We're in it together. Um, and I believed it. And, you know, um, you know, fooled me. Um, and it took a long time for me to really see the the cracks in the facade of the fair and this you know committee really cemented it you know i you know my marginalized identity as a disabled person still affords me privileges because i'm white and i'm cisgendered and i'm you know queer passing and so you know getting the opportunity to be a part of the task force for a moment and then failing because that was not an iteration <laughs> of this committee that was going to work for me. Um, and, you know, being drawn back into it because, you know, justice and community and inclusion are important to me. Um, being drawn back into it and getting to be a part of this work with all of you and the people that aren't here was inspiring and not, you know, inspiration porn version of inspiring that we all so often hear about, but like truly inspiring. Um, and I really thought that if any positive change was going to happen at the fair, it was going to be with you guys. And so, you know, yeah. it didn't happen. <laughs> and like, I feel positively changed and, you know, but the fair is, uh, the fair has a long way to go if ever. So I mean, okay, so I want to say thank you so much to all of y'all for being here and thank you for wanting to do this, this, have this conversation because I know we all bring, we all come to this work in a real passionate, like I said before, like it's a, it's a very heartfelt work for us. And so the fair was also a, a heartfelt space for all of us as well. Like we felt something there. Um, so like without going too far into my background with the fair, in that way, because it is extensive, <laughs> unfortunately, but, and so is the racism, right? And so is the racism endured during that extensive um, time at the fair. Uh, definitely, I'm 45 years old, and I, I have memories of being at the fair when I was 10 years old. So it was, you know, yeah, right? A long, a long time. My dad is a part of the Merry Pranksters. He's the only black Merry Prankster in the history of the Merry Pranksters. Um, you know, Keezy's and all of them were very dear friends of the family and um, the fair and the hippie culture of the fair was something that I was actually around quite a bit. 
as a child and at the same time with the just the juxtaposition of very like afrocentric um and and black centered family at the same time so it was like a both and because they didn't actually go well together but there was definitely a both and happening um and so i from a very early age was able to kind of see that balance um and see where you don't go and see where you do go and even when you do go how there is um rules and parameters of how i could show up in that space but to adapt it as family was always a stretch for me, although I really, really, really liked the concept yeah. of fair family, right? Like, yeah. it's like, oh, fair yeah. family, like, yeah. And the thing is, is that even if you didn't, even if you don't fit in 100%, there's something about fair family that you, that you actually define, and then somehow mm-hmm. it fits, even if you're not fitting. It's weird. It's this very strange, like, gaslighty, love, abusive, and... <laughs> You know, it's like, and then there is like, you know, there was such good times. And then it was like, blah, blah, blah. so anyway, um, yeah. I, I want to say that um, the, what you spoke of as a diversity task force, when it first came about for the country fair, we were just a task force. We weren't even, the board did not even assign us as a committee. Um, and it was a task force because something had erupted and they needed someone of color to come in and fix it. Right. <laughs> right? And so, you know, I would say I want to I want to put on top of it that like I've been on many of the ta- I've been on many of the diversity task force and of the committees that have come and go. People come in and people go out. Um and I want to say this group and the group the people who are not here, um I thought from all the years that I have been doing it, it had it had been the most qualified and group professionally and lived and practiced and embodied of the diversity committee, uh, committees and task force that we have ever had. And we were the, the most disrespected, right? So I want to put that out there because this was not just a bunch of group of people who we, we were like, oh yeah, we really hate, we hate racism. No, it wasn't like that. Like we were actually professionals in this field. We actually had plans and drafts and meetings four hour meetings at a time. Like, you know, this was not a little bit. We had, uh, you know, proposals and the, it, it was for, it was good. We were good. Um, so I want to, I just want to say it, what I just wanted to put that out there for you all. Um, so anyway, what is this thing fair? We keep saying Oregon country fair. We're, we're given some ideas, but okay. Who wants to talk about who, what the hell is an Oregon country fair <laughs> besides a hot fucking mess? <laughs> The amount of time that I have spent in the last seven months asking myself that question, because like I said, like I was not born and raised at the fair. There's something called fair babies, right? It's like kids born at the fair that are now, you know, having their kids or their grandbabies. So it's like intergenerational. There are actual families at the fair that have families at the fair. And then there are people that come into the fair and are like, can I be a part of this? Which is like, there's this weird xenophobia with that. That's like a whole other thing. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I wandered into it and I was like, I, I, I saw what they were selling and I decided to buy it, even though I didn't fully believe it. Cause like, how could you, but you know, after a decade of, you know, trauma bonding through labor, and volunteering and you know the fun side you know blowing off steam after you know six weeks of work um the psycho spiritual 
rejuvenation experience. Um, you know, after all of that, I started to buy into it more and I started selling that dream to people as a crew coordinator and as somebody doing this work. And so it hadn't really occurred to me that I needed to define it for myself, what it is until the conflict, you know, the, the, the last, um, you know, two years of being with other people that are trying to help redefine the fair at its behest, first of all. Um, but like, you know, I've just toiled with this in my head of like, what is the fair? And, you know, you have the nonprofit side, the fair is a nonprofit. Um, it's a 5013C nonprofit, um, tax exempt status, um, that purports to offer, um, education to the community to benefit the public. Um, and the Oregon Country Fair weekend that happens the second weekend of July is actually a fundraising event to fund the nonprofit. And so there's plenty of people that don't know that the fair is a nonprofit and they think it's just a festival that happens the second weekend in July. Um, but it's not. It's a fundraising party to fund this nonprofit that's supposed to benefit the local community. Um, and so it's like it's that and it's a family and it's, you know, no, it's not a cult, but maybe. And Loosely. so like, what is it, right? like that's, that's something I've been asking myself. And it's like the main, like, you know, I got, you know, two voices in my head that are just like, what is it? And I don't feel like the fair knows what it is. I think that's one of the interesting things about the fair. Yeah. I don't think it knows what it is. How would y'all, um, how would, were we define, were you 1969 on the banks of the Long <laughs> River. <laughs> Like-minded individuals had a fundraiser for a community school. <laughs> um, that fundraiser grew into a 50-year festival, one of the first music festivals in the country where the Grateful Dead would play in the parking lot. And, yeah. you know, LSD was being experimented with widely and other drugs eventually. And um, it became notorious. The state tried to shut it down. It's been kind of a bane in the existence of Lane County commissioners for many, many years. Um it's loved, it's hated, it's whatever you want it to be and everything you don't want it to be at the same time. Um, it's a huge city in a, in a forest that has its own waterworks, has its own kitchen, has its own campgrounds and paths that you can wander and dozens of stages that you can see everything from vaudeville to um, the Grateful Dead playing on. <laughs> um, now they've tried to make some strides with music, um, with the Honest Troupe, and I'll let her speak to that more. Um, but for the most part, it's a um, you know bluegrass festival, an acoustic music festival um, that happens on the second weekend of July and been Oregon every year. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was. What that- did I tell you? But like at the end of the day, like Emma was starting to point to. It's a private party in the woods so that we can all do drugs and, like, let loose and not have anyone tell us what to do, except for other hippies who have more power than us. <laughs> and, like, you know, if you look us up on, what is it, Nonprofit Score or something, what's that website? Like, we have a it's really like bad... report. Yeah, we have such a bad rating. And, like, the amount of money that actually funds these community programs versus the amount of money it costs us just to exist and have our private party is like abysmal. <laughs> oh, wow. Someone was saying that I never did go look because I, you know, like I never did go look deeply because I'm a personal relational person. So I, for some reason, have, have let the fair screw me more times 
than I would like to admit, right? <laughs> right? So it's almost like I'm like, I don't want to know because if I know even more than I already know, I'm going to be even more pissed that I stayed th- as long as I stayed trying to talk to yeah. these crazy people. And I don't, and I, and when I say that, meaning that like they pulled me in through all of the wonder that you just described, right? I mean, even as you were describing it, like as Brooks was describing it, I was like, there's so much in that description, right? And the wonderment that actually happens in that space. I know plenty of black folks, right? I mean, I know plenty of black folks. Um, excuse me. Yes, we didn't say about our identities. Most people know that I am black. <laughs> this is black girl from Eugene. You know, <laughs> FYI. <laughs> so I am black. My mother is black. My father is black. Um, I was raised in a black household. That's, I am black. So um, I have also lived all around, you know, the country and in Central America. And so my viewpoint, although I am absolutely centered in blackness and pro-blackness, I'm actually, my view is more multicultural, right? I like to see the diversity work. I like to see black and brown people working and supporting each other. I like that. Um, but when it comes down to it, I'm black as black, black as it gets. And that's where I stand when in crap like this, right? So with that being said, <laughs> um, Country Fair had a hold on me in a way that's embarrassing at this point. Like, I'm just like, what? Why? Why was I like toiling with like giving them the straight up finger? Like, I don't understand. It took a long time. Uh, yeah. And... To not go, like you get into these wonderments, like you get into these memories. I have so many stories that were just like, what? People listen to you and you're like, where are you at? Like, what the hell does that happen, right? And you're just like, trust me, like, trust me, come with me next year, you know, that kind of thing, right? Um, But to let that kind of like optimism and hope and just really pure joy go is really super painful. But I think that connection to it is why we fought so hard. Because we couldn't believe that something that beautiful in its, in its essence could really have an underbelly this ugly. You know, it's almost like I'm here. You're here, Brooks. You're here, Britannia. You're here, Yana. You're here, Emma. We're all here. We've been here for years. How could we completely be like, it's almost like you walk into a bubble you know how they say time stops at the fair? Like you don't have time at the fair. Yeah. No one does, mm-hmm. right? And that's a real thing. Like no one, no one yeah. follows time while you're in this, the three days that you're there or four days or whatever, uh, that little weekend. Um, and how could we get to a point where we just got fogged over so much and ignored so, so we just got painted over in this very iridescent, <laughs> you know, shiny... Right? <laughs> and we went with it. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah. How do we... What it's was in that shit? It's totally embarrassing. It's, yeah, it's reckoning with that, like, cognitive dissonance. But it is. It was a beautiful thing. I loved it. What was in the lemonade? Yeah. What was in the lemonade? Okay? Right? Well, I know what it was. <laughs> what's the fair, <laughs> What's the fair, <laughs> I feel like, well, first, let's identify myself. My name is Yana again. I, uh, 
I am, I like to identify as mixed is my favorite. I have a black and indigenous father and a white mother. So I'm also black because um, you don't necessarily get to be white just because your mom is. <laughs> um, but I like mixed because I think that's a big part of my identity. And then um, I'm also queer and poly and my partner of almost 20 years is um, a Boricua um, from Boricain, Puerto Rico. Um, and also mixed with white as well. So we're all about all the blendings and all the things inherently, you know, mixed people problems, right? Um, I think to tie that in, I guess, almost that's why we all drank the Kool-Aid with Fair, um, because it is theoretically representing a super mixed, like truly what like America should kind of sort of be in terms of like, like we're looking for culture in America because we've got all of these you know, roots in super intense oppression and just obviously the, you know, First Nations, enslaved peoples, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, we know the story, right? Like this should be an amazing, like Latino black centered space. And instead there's all this messed up history and we've oppressed everybody, right? So within this cultures, we, every, all of our subcultures try to create spaces of community and spaces where like our differences are embraced and we're able to flourish. I think Eugene, which is the city, the little city in Oregon, for those people that don't know about Oregon, right? Eugene is kind of the mecca for that in this state. My dad always called this state as a southern state in the north, meaning it was very, very white, very racist roots. The Klan wanted you know, it to be its headquarters. It mm-hmm. may or may not be. I'm not in that club, right? I don't know all the stories, but... Um, in the 80s, right, I'm 34. So when my parents and their generation came here and started having kids, my siblings are anywhere from like 30 to 50 or whatever, right? So when the 80s came about, a lot of people kind of did a little bit of an exodus in terms of trying to leave, um, you know, mainstream culture, similar to like the 70s, Vietnam era, all that stuff it was kind of like the next wave of that, right? And in, in Eugene at that time, you had a bunch of nonprofits start about 50 years ago. You have the Wow Hall, which is this like epic venue space. Mm. You've got Whitebury, which is like crisis medical intervention space. You've got Growers Market, which is a food cooperative, getting people, you know, cheap, healthy food, Saturday Market, Crafters, Country Fair, and then some other like smaller businesses making, you know, alternative foods and such. Nancy's Yogurt, Toby's Tofu, Emerald Valley Salsa, all of these things, right? So all these people are coming here in the 80s, making babies and making theoretical revolution, <laughs> trying to be like, this is community-based organizations. So like, that's where I think this festival, Country Fair, kind of got like, that's where a lot of that magic, I believe, stems from. And then now you fast forward 50 years later, and many of us that are, I mean, privilege creates passivity, right? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. We all are a part of this private party. Like you, it, mm-hmm. essentially, it is kind of like a majority white private party in the woods. Mm-hmm. And some people get to stay. About eighteen thousand people get to stay overnight, and about they, they work the festival. And then about eighteen to twenty thousand people come during the day. So, like some people say, it's like the biggest town in Oregon during that weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a culture. It's fun. It's become very cool. Festival culture is a dope thing, right? Mm -hmm. People are into it these days. Mainstream bitches are into it, right? So that beauty of it and that hope of it made us all put on some fatty rainbow tinted tie-dye glasses 
that we saw the world through because we do, you have amazing experiences and you speak and like yeah. as a mixed girl in a white space, I feel like I can just roll through the past with my people and be myself and express myself in whatever way. And I felt this level of entitlement that I don't get in any other place, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, you might have like a massive crowd of white body folks or straight folks or whatever watching you <laughs> do that. And so there's these microaggressions and these this weird ignorant racist kind of behavior happening based upon not necessarily hatred, although there definitely have been some straight up white supremacists there, but just based on like cultural ignorance to a degree, right? Because none of us can really know about a culture we're not super in. So like to me, fair has is represents a festival and represents like this private party culture, but also represents this kind of dream that we all have for a collaborative community that is supporting art and you know individual creativity and all of these awesome things you're like all of the vendors there have to make all their crafts like you can't it's like an issue for them they can't hire someone else to do the stuff they're selling at fair unless they're like within the family like it's this super like weird but kind of cool concept right the other side of it is this is a culture that's created and that is existing in the construct of the larger American society. And that's steeped in white supremacist generational practices. And that's steeped in um, like financial disparities. And so when it comes down to it, like my experience trying to bring kind of hip hop and alternative culture to the alternative culture is those of us that don't have like the same like maybe financial stability and or power within this event mm-hmm. end up giving more than we can putting out more than is given back and like you see that in the professional sense like Aisha was talking about earlier in terms of like we are professionals like we know better and yet here we are giving and giving when there isn't even there's no reciprocity there's no even acknowledgement or accountability or understanding when it comes to the issues that we're facing and when we're trying to point out issues of oppression and ways in which this culture can change. So I think a lot of us are hanging, we're hanging on through this diversity committee. Like I said, I only joined up in during pandemic because I always kind of knew growing up affair that you don't get involved in the politics or else you're not going to be into it. You're not going to want to keep going. And maybe that, you know, was a self-fulfilling prophecy, but (laughs) that's what we found you know, by attempting to kind of point out these issues is recognizing, oh, it's not something that people really want to work on. They may want to keep it an easygoing party when we're sitting here saying, wait, if we can't change the hippies, if we can't change the alternative culture to be able to fully empower and so that like the black trans kid or whoever's the, you know, the lowest common denominator concept, right? All of us feel accepted and present at the table. Well, then we definitely ain't changing no federal government either right so like this microcosm has definitely (laughs) brought us all together and yet at this point it's feeling as if the change may not even be super possible within this alternative culture which is the disheartening side we're kind of alluding to (laughs) i love you know i want to say what you what you just said i think the reciprocity part with no reciprocity back right once you learn the underbelly, like once you, like I say this in my, I say this in my trainings all the time about like awareness, but once you see it, you can't unsee it and then yeah. it's over. <laughs> like yeah. this underbelly is so nasty, but the one thing I, what you were saying, all of it was like, 
absolutely like amen to every single thing. And then I thought about it, like the reciprocity with us. And I, and I don't want to say that it's us only because clearly it's not, but within family, for those who don't have family, for those who have family, for those who loved each other through this process, the lot, the, the, when our needs as people, uh, as traditionally excluded communities from the centerpiece of anything, right? Feeling family is important. And so when a, when a request of humanity is made and through our blood, sweat, and tears, quite literally, right? Everything, you walk through these fairs, like you were saying, Brooks, you go through these paths, through the woods, and it's a whole city. That city gets put up for this weekend and taken down each year, mostly taken down, right? <laughs> Blood, sweat, and yeah. tears. No money. You're not getting paid, right? So when we, yeah. as a traditionally excluded like groups of people, are saying, there's something wrong. I don't feel right. After I have bled and I have sweat and I have cried over years, and then we're told to not only shut up about our issues, but to how dare you speak aloud to the to to the family? <laughs> what's what's the what's the Italian to the family? Right? Like how dare you? You know that's how it. All of a sudden you're like, where the hell am I at? Like. What the? What just happened, right? And I, yeah. I feel like that part, what you said, hit me like way because I was like, we volunteer and have no power. Like there's no power in our positions, even though they give you these coordinator bum whatever <laughs> blah blah. And then you go, hey, can we can we get some bathrooms that might like? Can we get some a reporting system for sexual assault for a trans? No, no. I what? I'm you know now I'm banned now my. Now my picture's all over the internet with, with you know, I don't even, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know. The, the diversity committee all of a sudden becomes like the hated nine or whatever. Like, I don't even know what, but it's what you said to me. Like, it, it rang it, for a moment. I was just like, the reciprocity in the family part is where really and truly our heart was broken because that's what we tried to talk to people who we loved and right. thought and which is what our problem is, we thought it would, was loving us back. But the 501c3, the corporation, if I run a 501c3, you know, Brooks, you know how this goes. There, it's ran just like a goddamn business. And if you want it to be successful, it's a business. You, you report to the IRS. You better report on time. You will have fees. You will go to court. Like you have to have, you know, employee tax. And all the things happen just like anything else. So the fair, when fair family became business, you know, the business of inclusion becomes a money, a, a, an issue, a culture that could see themselves as being somehow less than inclusive in their rainbow mind of seeing no color, like honestly, seeing no difference, that, that to, to be able to step back and say, maybe we have not done this correctly, especially like in the best opportunity of 2020, to say maybe the fact that we created this fair on native burial lands, 
let's start there. Maybe we can do better, right? <laughs> Maybe we can do better. And the refusal of that, right? It's almost like you got caught <laughs> and you just for the first time see grandpa lie. Like, what? Yeah. Why did you lie, grandpa? Right? And like, what do you mean? And all of a sudden, it's like all of the truth comes melting down to what it really truly is. White utopia. It wasn't mm-hmm. meant for any of these other things. You can't speak of it at the, te- at the table, right? Mm-hmm. Don't speak against the family. Like, that's what I... I'm not doing that accent right. But you guys know... <laughs> How's it going? It's like Batman. It's like don't talk about the family. No, what is it? It's not. Who's it? Why can't I think of it? It's the guy, the Italian dude. You know what I'm talking about, right? The Godfather. Hello. (laughs) It's the damn Godfather. I'm trying to send people out to whack you. I mean, like this point about like there's a culture of don't get involved. I mean, in a membership organization where you vote for your leaders and ostensibly you want participation in a democracy, you're told not to get involved. And they tell you because you won't like it. But what they don't tell you is because they will come for you. They will raise online mobs and they will harass you and they will post your photo on the Internet. They will slander your name. They will make up lies. They will just go on and on and on for months on their official listservs of the organization oh, yeah. to, to just still crash your reputation and your person. <laughs> and if you die from a heart attack, too bad you gotten involved. You should have stayed away. I mean, it's really just that gross. You should have just stayed home, Brooks. <laughs> right. You should have stayed, stayed home. home. So everything you're your saying. Fashion and spoonful so we don't have to give yeah. it to you with a hammer across your face. Like, <laughs> I, I want everyone to hear what you said clearly because what you said was not hypothetically. That was actually things that have happened. Right? Thanks. We should speak to that. The harassment online. Because um, the fair has been from, from the world that you have, that you grew up in, Iana, and that, and meaning that like in the 80s when it was beautiful and we didn't have the internet <laughs> we just talked behind each other's back the old-fashioned way right um you know so it didn't happen where you know you have online forums dedicated to the country fair that are there and and just like any other social media crap can blows up you say one thing it's everywhere right um and so yeah, let's speak to that a little bit because yeah. we've, we've had a good time um, online with this step. So before, I th- before we go into that, though, I want, I, because I just want, let's go back. Let's go back a couple steps, right? Um, we, we came together like anyone, like the, like the diversity committee comes together where you come in and you say, hey, I want to be a part of this committee. I'm, I love diversity. I love inclusion. I love all the things. So I want to like, make a change. I write my little letter, we vote you in, board says yes, boom, you're on the committee. Super simple. And then the shit goes down, right? And then you start to realize that the committee is not only pulling <laughs> left and right, but literally the engine has been like filled with, with sugar. Who is filling the engine with sugar? Why can't we get this off the ground? Why won't the car turn over? Why? And everyone's going, is there a mechanic around here? Like, no, we got a mechanic. We called in the best mechanic there is. And when people are like, wait a minute, but didn't you know how to drive this? I've been trying to drive this thing. It won't start. I don't know why. And then all of a sudden, the why appears. The board. <laughs> the board is the why. Um, so I want to go back because I think it's important for context that um, 
when I first started in, at the task force, 2017, 16, 17, right? Emma was one of the people who were with me. Um, and we had a pitiful task force. <laughs> Not going to lie. Pitiful. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, and even then, because you know who was there also, right? Yeah. <laughs> the person who we now know who shall not be named. Okay, so yeah. he was there. <laughs> and uh, so was a couple other people who are still here, right? Who have, I, in my eyes, and this is Aisha speaking as my own on my own damn podcast, is, are ineffective in their roles. Um, how are still there, right? So being who I am and being who Emma is, we immediately attracted to each other and was like, I think we have an idea. I think we can do something. We were so cute. So naive, right? I was 25. <laughs> so cute. Um, we, we literally, we got together over texts and calls and we yeah. spent days and days. We did community outreach to have a meeting Right? In different community places, we tried to fund two people. How many people did you say run the country fair? How many people go to the country fair? How many people run the diversity committee? Two people decided to try mm-hmm. to get this, done, this work done. We sat for hours writing out an entire plan, wrote it all out, sat there, yeah. right? Entire plan of training the entire fair. Meaning all the bums, all the, all the coordinators, all the staff, who could do it, how we could do it, how we could pay for it, who we could reach, the way that it would be disseminated, how we could go into the, remember how we could go into the fair and do it yeah. before fair, meet people at yeah. their camps, make sure people had, make sure the bums were trained. We had this whole system set out. It was so intricate. We literally took pictures of it so they could see how the flow went. We ended up doing one training, and I ne- and I paid for it. Never got reimbursed yeah. by the board. The rest yeah. of the diversity committee didn't even show up, right? I know it was the worst. I remember, like you know, it was like my first, second meet. It was like my second meeting, and they were talking about how Johnson was talking about like with Anne because they were they were still there back then about like how to put forward a learning opportunity because that's what they wanted to call it and you had some ideas I like decided to speak like you know jokes on me and they were like oh it sounds like I hear people volunteering and I was like I guess literally I knew nothing about any of this like you know out of the nowhere without you I was like I have a willingness and an eagerness to do well and to help but I don't know how to I've never done Google Docs, really. I have surveys, uh, emailing all of these people, like, um, you know, trying to find a venue, booking a venue, catering, talking with Johnny. Like, why we did all of is. that. I was so overwhelmed. I know. And af- after we did that, that one training, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> like, I remember after, after, we did it. I just like went to the bar and I just got hammered. And I was like, and I don't, I didn't do that. Like I wasn't, I was just like, I need to drink. I was just like, that was fuck. That was messed up. Mm-hmm. That was not okay. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm 25 years old and disabled. And I don't know any of this stuff. And I was like, thank God Aisha was here, but she shouldn't be doing this. It was like a room full of white, older people that have experience. I like, we're tired. Literally something that I heard. I don't remember who said it. But I like, we're tired. We need some new blood. I was like, eh, how much are you going to take? 
And even in that space, at that time, I was a professional. So the thing yeah. is, is that I was still yeah. dismi- de- demeaned and diminished, right? Yeah. And I wrote out a whole plan. <laughs> and very intricate. Yeah. So that was 2016. That was the debacle around. Was that was that in response to was that in response to the that total poll? That was post story poll. Okay. So the story poll had been decided upon, and they decided they needed a task force. And John Silverman spearheaded it with Anne, and like okay. they had their task force, which was a fight to even get. Um, I believe it was post story poll. I could be wrong. The I, elders aren't here. But yeah. we joined post story poll. That I do know. Yeah. Um, and so that had happened. And so it, the so I believe it was 2017. And so yeah, they were trying to find out what to do next because it was thought that like the task force had done its job, the story poll didn't go up, but they were like, well, we want something else. We need to do something else. And that's where you came in, and you were like, well, here's what you can we do. Can do. You can do it. You just have to fund it. And they were like, well, money. I don't know about that. Like, how about for free? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Will they volunteer their time to talk to us and so we can ignore them? People know by story poll, you mean a appropriated totem pole. um, Yes. That was, you know, in all good intents, carved in memoriam of um, some youth who had died, but um, was called out by tribal members throughout the Northwest because it's not culturally appropriate in a culturally Mm -hmm. appropriate spot. I mean, it was a big ordeal. Newspapers were writing about it. It was um, quite, you know, and I mean, kind of elucidates why we're having this conversation now. The only thing that seems to work is when other people are paying attention to the fuckery. Um, and, <laughs> um, pardon me. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, that was kind of what started this diversity conversation, really. Yeah, it was straight up out of horrible, horrible mistreatment of indigenous people at a board mm-hmm. meeting, right? And the representation of this completely inappropriate and appropriated um, design, like you said, as a memorial. And um, and the, the thing is, is that's when it blew up. It had already been nasty. It's already gross, right? We, we could only get, like I said, it was absolutely, I cannot get over that the fair is built on burial grounds that they know are there. That should have been a no brain. That should have been dead right then. Done. But we just keep on moving. <laughs> we just keep on smoking. So then, um, so then we fast forward. A couple different. Obviously, we get burnt out. Obviously, I'm pissed. I leave. Emma leaves. I come back because, you know, I can't stop. Apparently, I like pain. So I come back and I'm like, we can do this. We have new people come in. Um, I wonder how many times I have left the, left the diversity committee and come back. I'm not coming back this time, just so you know. But <laughs> but I definitely have left a couple few times, right? Um, okay, so then we fast forward, right? And of course, 2020 sh- hits. So now, Britannia, Brooks, and Yana, this is when you all, like, this is when this comes in, right? This mm-hmm. particular faction um, of the diversity committee comes in. Now, we had the first fight to become a committee in the first place. Um, and then once we were voted to become a committee, then a couple different iterations of the committee had gone through and then 2020 comes through. Right. Um, and y'all take it from there. (laughs) Well, it actually started out pretty good. Like 
We worked really hard. We mentioned earlier four-hour meetings. And that's just not one a month. We had like multiple, multiple hour meetings per month for years. We were by far the most hours put in committee. And we had subcommittee meetings, like multiple subcommittees. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we just did so many big projects. We worked on a survey, a splash census. We hired a team of consultants. We created a whole plan along with the consultants for like, like the beginnings of a strategic plan, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, Aisha had a huge part in developing what having DEI staff people, multiple positions within the organization to help keep us accountable at all levels of leadership. Um, and like we got a couple wins and it was looking like the board was getting a little more progressive. Um, I loved coming to our meetings. Like that was one of my favorite things of the pandemic years is being able to see you guys all the time and do this work. Like I learned so much, like part of my career now as a facilitator and um, like workshop facilitator, transformative justice facilitator, like all that, like this was huge part of my resume. I feel like it was almost a full-time job most of some months. Um, And um and then what happens? Like, well, it was the infamous <laughs> statement. I think that's what isn't that yeah. is that when it cracked for you all yeah. to realize that we were like, yeah. hold on, wait a minute. What do you mean yeah. that's that that those words are too harsh? I feel yeah, like I that was the moment yeah. that yeah. we all knew, right? The solidarity, the, yeah. the solidarity statement. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the first issue I was involved in when I first came on, and I was told mm-hmm. to begin get involved by a white woman I know who was like, this stuff is going on. They need your voice, whatever. So I showed up to a couple meetings and that was my big shock was like, these folks, you all that were already on the committee were writing a solidarity statement because of the George Floyd murders and the ensuing kind of Black Lives Matter movements and protests that were going on. And as a cool revolutionary hippie organization that represents alternative culture and is for sure isn't racist ever. Um, or at least <laughs> Not a bone in their body. <laughs> Right, not a racist concept in their psyche. Um, they, 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 they ask their diversity committee that people had to, you know, black people had to work to even create uh, to write a statement saying, "Hey, we're super sorry. All this mm-hmm. stuff is going on in this culture." Right, and the statement was simple and basic, and the words that they had issues with. These are the first meetings I went to, where we're sitting here trying to justify why murder should be used rather than killings. Mm-hmm. You know, why white supremacist culture is important to use rather than what did they say? They, they, what did they whitewash? Just took that part out. They just, they just they scratched it all together. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and we're sitting here, bless these people's souls. I mean, they mean well, right? But we're trying to like explain to our elders the significance of these words that is huge. For me, that was like, oh, I have to get involved because mm-hmm. since like everybody, not everybody knows. Many people ought to know that Black Lives Matter did not start in no 2020 with, mm-hmm. you know, George Floyd, Namad Aubrey, and Breonna Taylor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like the first initial I Can't Breathe was 2014 with Eric Garner in New York. And of course, with Mike Brown, Mike Brown. Hands Up Ferguson. And these were the original I Can't Breathe, right? Not to mention, obviously, we know Emmett Till, et cetera, et cetera, like histories of racism. But we're talking about common present day 
people are getting recordings of the brutality that we within our community already know happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's no accountability or even acceptance or conversation around it within white communities, right? And so the fact that we had to like explain these basic concepts, like for me, I went to my parents' house and printed out all these pictures of all the people that had been murdered by cops and already had in my little space, my stage, our hip hop world, right? Already had stapled those pictures onto the wall and put little LED candles and like had been mm-hmm. trying to make Ancestor Altar like little bit of recognition for communities that aren't really present at fair that much. But that in case, you know, people of color and black people are there, they recognize, oh, this is a white space, but we, you know, we see you there. We are here, right? And so we, I already been just doing that on my own volition and zero, of course, any support or any way from the fair. Not, it's not within their conceptual understanding, really, because downright they couldn't handle the word murder for this nine. I mean, did they watch these nine minutes? You don't even have to. You can re- see the news accounts. You can read the transcripts. Like, mm-hmm. if it ain't murder, what is it? And if these, and yeah. I, we're, you know, that that was to me definitely like the first issue we were working on and to this day they have not changed that statement yeah or made it public they have it on their internal they have it on their internal website they don't even put it on their public facing website because that's you know the level of commitment it's not even i didn't know that website it's on the fair family website oh i didn't even know that oh my god are you kidding me right so we can even say to ourselves after Whoa. we whitewash it, what is happening, much less to the world, right? Yeah. What? Embarrassing. I did yeah. not know that that did not go to the... What? Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. I posted it on Facebook gonna... and got a bunch of pushback, but it's not on the org's website. It was never on the org's website. It's on the internal fairfamily.net website or on oregoncountryfair.net. If I would have known yeah, that, I would have quit a lot sooner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you can't even search for solidarity statement on the dot org nothing not even anything and like the wild thing about the statement you know the process because that's a huge thing in these orgs right the dominant culture process and the process for this statement was incompetent right so it was real late you know most organizations that were trying both performatively and not to be like, well, clearly this is what is happening right now. Like we need to do this. We need to put a statement out, whether it's because they care it or not, like they're like, well, we have to do this. And the fair doesn't even have an urgency to perform. You know what I mean? There isn't even this like, well, this is what makes sense business-wise. Like that's not even a part of the fair. That's how low inclusion is at the fair. So like it was, really late and the ed asked the diversity committee to write a statement because he didn't it was a white man who doesn't see color at the time his words um and asked us to do that and we were like yeah you know someone should right someone should do this and so like we worked really hard on it and collaborated and chose words very carefully and thoughtfully and murder is murder right and white supremacy is white supremacy and like call violence what it is and then the ed who at the time has the power has the positional power to just put out the statement that he asked us to write for him um instead doesn't have 
the audacity, I guess, to do it himself. And so he sends it to the board who decides without meeting. So it's not a vote, right? Because the board can't vote if they don't meet and they have to meet in public. So I don't know how they all decided this, but they somehow decided not in an executive session and not in a board meeting, but they all decided it, um, that there were edits that needed to be made. And so they edited it without our awareness, let alone permission um, or invitation, none of it. And so then they just did that, sent it back and we were like, well, here's what we don't like. Um, the audacity, right? And so, you know, we were like, no. And then they just did it anyway. They edited it, they put it out. No apology, no acknowledgement, no thank you. So, and that's kind of what I was like, you know, when I came back to this iteration, you know, um, I was like, okay, this, like, you know, if Aisha says it's cool, it's probably cool. Like, I will come back. Like, I was real nervous, right? Because that first time was so hard. But I care about this stuff and I had worked more at the fair and I had done more. And so when I came back, I was skeptical of the system already and of what I knew the fair didn't want to do. But I was super stoked and I followed the hard work and I slowly but surely became more engaged. And then when that happened, I was like, oh, I, I won't say that word, but like, you know. You know what I want to say. So I was just like, this <laughs> like this is not okay. Like this is not okay. Um and so yeah, that was definitely my But wait, point. how I long like, I would put more work in. How long did it take us I I because my because I remember going in and, and everyone was working oh, really yeah. hard and then the that then the controversy came up and I bailed. I was like, I'm not gonna argue about this and I just left. I'm like, I'm not doing this. I mean, not bailed the, the committee. I, I bailed the process of writing the statement. Bailed. How I, from yeah. my memory, didn't it take you some like time, like real yeah, like time, a month at least. like a mm-hmm. m- more than a month to put yeah. to craft this together. Yeah. So I want people to understand. I wanted to hear that the whole. It wasn't even. It, it was asked of you to do of the committee to do. So that whole process right there is so stank that I can't even like begin to try to, there literally is no angle at that, that makes it like arguably okay. So let's fast forward past the first insult. And I think that literally for this group was the first realization that we were up against something very, very not all right. Like, well, what did we hear, right? It was, well, we don't know. We need training. And so what yeah. did we do? Britannia and I organized a whole day of virtual fair of training. The following year, Bianca, Britannia, and I organized three full days, eight hours of content. I was on a panel. In person <laughs> all day long, ran streams, got workshop presenters, fair specific content from professionals across the country to talk about the fair itself. And how many people showed up to that from the family? Like how many people who need this education come to it? I mean, it's history repeating itself, right? It's the two people mm-hmm. in the room and those two people are still engaged, but it's two people. We, we put out recordings of the trainings. Mm-hmm. I mean, go see how many YouTube views are, are, there are. I mean, they want us doing this work so that the public sees that somebody's doing it. So the org must be doing it, right? And so the org takes credit for work that we do, but then no one else in the org is doing it. And like people pat us on the head and they tell us like, nice job. And so I'm glad someone's doing this, you know? And and then all this credit is given for 
not no organizational change and the same, you mm-hmm. know, centers of power remain, you know, 40 years later and the the wheels just keep spinning and going nowhere. I mean, Yana, mm-hmm. you did that presentation in front of the board. You did it song and dance style, just like they wanted to hear and yeah. nothing. That, um, you know, when we say board, you know, individual members of the board hear their name, but we mean, and also we've said this so many times, but I want to say it again. We mean the institution of the board as it manifests itself at the Oregon Country yeah. Fair, the power structure of the board, the institution, not the individual serving, although there's plenty of problematic individuals. Also, but wait. <laughs> It's the structure of the system that, that, you know, people play roles in. And that's when we Mm -hmm. say the board this whole time and, you know, for years past, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Infrastructurally. And that's exactly like you referenced the presentation I made when I was uh, like 19, 18, 17 ish, I believe was 2005, 2006. And uh, we did like all of the crew came and rapped and brought like drums and beatbox and we like rapped very well spoken like not just like some freestyle ish you know like we wrote out specific like issues with the fair all of our verses wow. it was like a report right and we did it the chorus we we what did, who did we bite um uh the guitar player bob dylan right it was come gather around people wherever they roam and we like you know, because that song is all about, yo, next generation, let's, yeah. the times are changing, what's up? So we rapped, we do this, and then after that, and of course, oh, you're so <laughs> well-spoken, you know, they loved it, it was, uh, like, we'll talk about it just 20 years later, and then I had written up, like, a three-page uh, proposal, right, for this intergenerational cross-cultural crew that would, it was kind of DEI before we used the catchphrase, right, um, for a way to basically bridge that divide and not make there is a massive disconnect this cognitive dissonance somebody else brought it up and i feel like that's what we're talking about there's this like two sides to the fair even just like i don't know if listeners understood when they were talking about the dot org site versus the dot net site that shows in mm. well, right so there's organ country fair dot net which is for fair family people that work there and it's a way that we can kind of coordinate the behind the scenes right scenes and then there's organ country fair dot org which is like the just like, you know, the event, the kind of public face, right? Mm-hmm. Likewise, you've got the infrastructure of the board of directors and the staff and whoever and the f- people that are going to the meetings, which I mean, I would be surprised if it was like 2,000 people total going to these meetings, right? Out of like twenty to 40,000 people that are apparently fair family because people that come in for the day and don't work overnight are also fair mm-hmm. family. So the percentages of people that are actually participating, I mean, it's, again, is the micro macrocosm of the governmental system that we're used to in America. It's the same situation. The few are making all the decisions and the move for the many, and the many aren't always showing up, right? And that's kind of indicative of the, the issues that we have in so many levels of our cultures. And so within FAIR, you're talking about like people that are making these choices about solidarity statements or about uh, the, you know, the consultants that come in and how you treat those people. And they are not representing the majority of the folks mm-hmm. that go there. And the majority of the folks that go there are not even necessarily caring to be involved within the integral systems because of the way it's not accessible. It's, you know, what did you say? Process, Emma. It's the same mm-hmm. old story. It's the bureaucratic process that gets in the way of actual conversations and actual change being made and well, so I, you have oh go for it yeah 
No, no. I, I was just going to say what you just said. It goes – the split of like the process and then the, the, then the fake – fake ass culture that you're talking about because those two don't go together in any yeah. way in any way they don't go together i mean <clears throat> how many times like going like either growing up there or spending time there do you hear that's like this is a culture of revolution and activists and protest and like anti-war and like trying to bring cultures together, which is just, like, an interesting way to say cultural appropriation, right? But, like, um, you know, how many times do you hear that? It's all the time. And, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, like, you can't have that in a bureaucratic governmental system based in dominant culture, government systems, which is just white supremacy. You can't have both. You can't, like, say ACAB and then also, like, wear a thin blue line shirt. It's the same thing and to me. Like, it's just, like, it's not, you can't, you can't have both. And that's, like, where my brain breaks. It's, like, it wants to introduce itself as, like, this, like, woke thing. But it's just doing everything exactly the same as the American government. I just don't. I don't. Exactly that. And back to and and back to what you were saying, Iana and Brooks. You're like, (laughs) I'm just thinking about like the timeline Mm -hmm. of these incidents that we can remember. Like you're like, oh, Iana's like this whole performance that you did that still gets talked about 20 years Mm -hmm. later, right? Everyone knows about what happened with the the indigenous lady at that board meeting right when she got screamed and yelled at and pushed out right then Mm -hmm. you've got this uh, the the infamous december 6th brooks incident that we must speak of um over and over again that is three women of color right You've got the indigenous, you've got you, you've got me back in 2017 putting together a whole plan, right? Then you've got you putting together a whole orchestrated, you know, demonstration and, 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 uh, like, I mean, message. Then you've got this indigenous woman who comes in dressed in garb to, to tell her story. You've got Brooks to come in to defend the, the in, in a way of, of how much effort has been put in. We'll talk about that in a second. These are people who've come from the communities that are supposed to be about fair family. We're supposed to be family. We have come through and each time, I, I talk on my podcast and I talk on my Instagram constantly. Listen to black women. Listen to black people. Listen to marginalized communities. Listen to traditionally excluded peoples, right? You, we can pinpoint dates where we had absolute attention of whatever board or whatever executive d- director of this organization's absolute attention and have been completely dismissed. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can't go keep moving forward and not, not stating just how poignantly clear these messages were and how directly to the core that they went to exactly where they're supposed to be and not only were we 
transforming what we normally do so that they can hear us in the way, right? We catered, worked, sweat, produced over and over again in several different directions and have still been dismissed. Yes. Right? Yes. I feel like, see, that to me speaks to what we're talking about, this infrastructural, um, the issues. The problem is, like, people try to make it an individual issue. And like you guys spoke to earlier, yeah, there's been some problematic individuals that participate, you know, that are board members or that are fair members, right? Like that indigenous woman you spoke of who's trying to speak out against the story poll and trying to just let people know, hey, by the way, this is super offensive to my people. That that woman got followed out to her car after being yelled at in the board meeting. Followed mm-hmm. by a sitting board member, no less. Yeah, by board members. Like this is a semi-threatening situation, especially as a person of color, right? Uh, semi-threatening, straight up threatening. <laughs> no, well, obviously, according to them, clearly not. Is my point because right. there's no acknowledgement and there's no understanding of how, like, you cannot call yourself non racist mm-hmm. anti-racist you can't you can't when these are the things that are happening and likewise with so when we came into the board meeting and we're like super multicultural ton, all the colors all the age ranges coming in doing our little presentation and like i said i typed up this three-page thing not one person on that board responded to the proposal which was much deeper than what happened but but what happened see just like that one man followed or the one board member followed out the indigenous woman, we had one man follow us out, offering us passes, offering us a home at fair, right? Mm. So again, with the passivity thing we talked about earlier, the privilege promotes being somewhat passive, is they handed us some passes from to, to do what we wanted to do, right? And the, even the general manager hooked us up with some. They gave us, I think, a total of 22. Whoa. I was asking for 50 for what we were supposed to, what we were trying to do in the big scale. They gave us 22, which was enough for our performance aspect, because my plan involves having half the people are there to perform, half the people are there to kind of do teaching and outreach and community empowerment. And the performance is what kind of brings people in and helps people get connected to it. It kind of is like, you know, holds holds it together. But then the real work is also happening, not just at the event, right? Kind of like the theory behind the nonprofit with FAIR and, and the event itself. And so we got followed out and we got given somewhat of a booster to only do what they wanted us to do mm-hmm. and nothing mm-hmm. else was ever acknowledged again, right? And like what we're talking about, like Aisha's massive proposal, you're talking about a professional woman who's not only fair family, but is like semi should be fair royalty if you're talking about the only black Mary pranksters, like the lineage wise, right? And a professional in diversity equity work and offering these services and what acknowledgement is there in that comprehensive plan? And so that just only translated further now that there was actually a committee and we kept on bringing more plans that we're talking about an infrastructural issue where even it takes if there's a really awesome individual like you know robert Spain, rest in peace who hooked up us up with passes and created that space without that nice kind white man we would not have had that venue to offer to the youth that showed up you know so that was the positive but just likewise the individuals can do serious damage. And that's what we've seen in kind of the slander and the online stuff mm-hmm. recently, as well as back in the day to, with the indigenous women in that story poll situation. So if an infrastructure allows for individuals to either corrupt or like perpetuate the private party kind of aspect by like bringing who they want in and not acknowledging other, you know, it's, 
the infrastructure has to be changed. If that's, those are situations that are able to repeatedly happen. I think what you just said leads me to the next part of this is that individually we did these things, right? We brought, these are incidents. What was different about this diversity committee is that we had each other. Mm-hmm. And we could actually link and be like, oh, you tried to knock Yana down. Guess what? We're, we're behind her. Oh, you're trying, to, oh, you're trying to square off on Brooks? Guess what? We're all behind him, right? You know, oh, Britannia can do it? No, excuse me. We'd like to hear what you're talking about. Like there, there was a crew of people who, that you, as we kept popping up, the more that, we, that they would resist, the, the more that they would diminish us, the more we would come forward. And I think... That's where we, how we ended up here. Because one of us, they could just pop down, boom, pop her down, you know, no big deal, quiet her off. Okay, group, you have 50 people, that's real cute and everything, but we just want you to perform. Here's some things. Don't, you look pretty when you're talking all, but can you just get up on there on stage and do that? Like, right? That's, that's one thing, right? They, they call that situation out. They, but when it's all of us, and we're saying, I'm sorry, did you just dismiss a gay man who was telling you about the... I'm sorry. Did you just take the microphone away from this disabled person? I'm here too. Yes, I'm a black woman. Oh, did you just take away this other black woman's voice? To, and they're going, crap, there's too many of them. <laughs> we can't squash them down together. So they all have to go, right? Yeah. We have to somehow demonize the one group the one group in the entire fair that represents more than one or two or maybe even three, I would say we represent more than four different marginalized, is it five protected groups in this committee, right? Alone? Mm-hmm. Not to say the multiple identities that most of us hold that are also groups of, right? Not only protected individuals, but, but traditionally excluded individuals. So I find it interesting that right when you said that, Yana, I was like, you know what? As a group, we got, um, and we'll talk about how after that statement, as we've moved forward and the, the momentum got stronger, we got stronger. And then we started to ask for accountability. And then we started to ask for people to stand up about where they're coming from. We started asking questions. Where are you getting this from? Where, where did you, where is the work coming from? Where is that, where, how did you get there? Who got you there? How can we get together together? How can we do this together to get it better? We started asking for actual action and accountability from the powers that be. And that is when we became evil. Mm-hmm. Well, because I think people hear this and they think, well, why wouldn't you take no for an answer? But the answer wasn't no. The answer was always yes. We want you to do this. We want to be this. We want to be. It was always Mm -hmm. like, this is what we want. And so it was never no until it was, you're right, Aisha, right? Whenever like it looked like stuff would actually happen. And that's when Mm -hmm. the no came out. Mm -hmm. And it came out fierce. I mean, I mean, we got slandered online. This is what we talked about before. Mm -hmm. We got uh, uh, misnamed. We got named. We've got we got uh, cornered. We we were. Um, people were getting hate mail and calls. Um, challenge to fight in board meetings. Yes. People called for spankings of us. And that was because of this December 6th thing, which I guess we should spit like at least, um, loop people in on. Like after this 20 years of singing and dancing and doing it their way, 
we finally did it their actual way, which is hijack a board meeting and lay it all on the table. And that's what we've seen board members of this organization do to get their power now. And so we took our committee report and, and turned it into a full on, because at the time they were trying to audit us as individuals, right? We're not qualified. So they want to audit us mm-hmm. and get us off the committee. They were trying to take consultant survey data that was used to develop a curriculum and recommendations and take it um, the raw data, data to use without any sort of like context to use without any sort of guidance. And then as we have seen, what we feared would happen, retaliation would happen against people who had personally identifiable data. Um, we were calling for mediation with the board to work through some of these issues, completely ignored. We were calling mm-hmm. for the executive director to get outside help. Those calls were rejected. I mean, I was watching you all, especially Iana and Aisha and Britannia, be berated by members of the board, screamed and yelled at yeah. in meetings because they weren't getting their way. And so this is all happening in private. And so finally, 20 years later for some of us, two years later, four years later for others of us, we just laid it all out there. We put a PowerPoint together. It, it, there were a group of like eight of us. We agreed to what we were going to say, and we just spelled it right out. You have people saying this is a white culture festival. Own it. You have, you know, calls are just being ignored. We're being harassed. Like we just, um, we called for the executive director to be terminated because of um, her role in this situation that was just abhorrent. Um, and of course that got their attention, right? So now we finally, after all this time, have your attention. And finally, these naysayers can say there is a white supremacy problem at the Oregon Country Fair. It's the diversity committee. Right. Those black women in this gay guy, those are the real white supremacists. We have discovered it, right? After all this time of saying there is no problem and we need training, we, we describe the problem, we give you the training, you ignore us, you ignore us, you ignore us. Now it's full circle and we are actually the embodiment of white supremacy to you. And it's just, it's I mean, it's just through the looking glass. It, it couldn't be more perfect for an organization like the Oregon Country Fair. Like, I mean, we're literally falling down Alice's rabbit hole. Like, like how you, you, you've, you actually have been listening. So now you're gonna pull these words and turn them around and attack us with them. We were never attacking you. We were describing reality. There was never a personal attack. We were trying to help. We were trying to make our family better. We were ignored. And now you get the guns out. You freeze frame Aisha's face and slander her and interpret her facial expression as if a group of white people in hundreds long comment threads can talk about a black woman's smile and what she really means and what she's really thinking. And they do not get the irony of how racist they're being. And while they're calling us racist, I mean, it was mm-hmm. just, and this went on for months and months and months in relation to, you know, a, a present, a what, 10 minute PowerPoint presentation. It's still eight months later, all the rage with this group of people yeah. who just cannot let go of their own power and their own privilege. I mean, it was called for you to be banned and, and never to walk, set foot in a meeting at that point, then they mm-hmm. wanted to monitor us. They wanted to know. Yeah. They wanted to review what we were going to say before we came in and say it. They wanted to know who was going to be. It was wild, and and what it was like. A, it was it was almost twilight zoning. Like it was almost kind mm-hmm. of like what because what and I want people who are listening to understand that everything that Brooks just said was not something that was like oh I, we're making up examples. Those were actual things that happened. Every single one of those things are actual instances that happened over a span of months, right? So, I mean, I got to the point 
that when I would show up to a meeting and we'd have to say something or they would ask, you, you know, you have one minute to speak your mind or whatever the hell, I would, I, my heart would be palpitating. Like, you know, I would be hot and I do this shit for a living. And so I don't get, like, I, I have a thick skin. I've heard a lot of stupid shit, <laughs> a lot of stupid shit in my training. People come oh, real sideways a lot, right? Um, you know, and I'm professional enough that I bring it down and come bring it to it and teach it to it and get it all around and everybody feels good. But the, t- the level of hatred, like mm-hmm. actual down south, backwood, they might hang me if they could, yeah. rape me, something if I was in a room by myself. That's what it felt like because it was mm-hmm. so vile. The things that they would say as if I didn't see it on the internet myself, as if my friends weren't screenshotting me the elders list that was talking mm-hmm. in real like backward racist you would be disgusted by the elders list and what they chose to say about a black woman showing up for fair right mm-hmm. in so many different ways so by the time it got to the end of this scenario and they had already decided or or wanted to vote on ban- disbanding us for having, uh, for for having this um, these conversations, arguing about the definition of tokenism, you can't argue it. It doesn't go back and forth. It is a thing, and that's what it is. <laughs> it's not for white supremacist interpretation of what it should be. That's not how it fucking works, right? And so to have all this be the, the level, it's like I'm arguing with a two year old. And I don't, they don't, they keep talking and I don't, and I'm talking and we don't know what the hell. And I'm going, wait, do you know what you're saying? And like, no, I just heard it on TV. What? You just wasted my whole, <laughs> why am I arguing with you? Right? You don't even, it's like, you know, all the big words and don't know any of the meanings. Like, it's clear that you know all the big words, but you have yet to use any of them correctly. Right? <laughs> like that is what we were up against at all times. And so at this point, I got to the point where it got to be so vile that they didn't even know we knew some of the things that we knew that they were saying, some of the vile things that they were saying. So when, they, when we would know, I would be in the room and I would want to say something, but I would be so angry, I would be, I would be trembling. And I thought, they are not paying me for this. <laughs> I, can, I don't even want to go. And I'm sitting here fighting for the equity of a place that I don't even attend anymore because it's so toxic. I don't even go anymore. And here I am taking on this abuse to the level that's physiologically affecting me. Like, come on, man. There's nothing worth that. There's nothing worth that. I just, I mean, it just got to, I never thought that in that space, and we talk about how this idea of like the fair, I mean, I'm sorry, the diversity committee and the board, and you're talking of a, a, a group of what twenty two people over mm-hmm. a, a how the membership one hundred and fifty people show up at most yeah over if that, a, not many the, if that many yeah. if that many right and so this is not like oh they probably didn't know your name or oh they probably don't know where you live this is mm-hmm. dangerous this yeah. is dangerous like you live in Eugene and I pass people I see all the time like you know Eugene is one of the places like. Oh, don't I know your face? And the, the what's the common the, what's the common response? It's Eugene. We probably crossed each other's paths at some point, right? That's a common response because it's a small town ish, right? So 
This was da- this was very but dangerous. You know where you live. You file a grievance against them, and they send the person you're filing a grievance against your home address. <laughs> I mean, like it's That's just right. absurd. I mean, like it's it's like mm-hmm. they're putting you in danger via their process. I mean, even right now, your their feedback form for the fair, you have to give mm-hmm. your fair affiliation, your address, yeah. your phone number. I mean, they like mm-hmm. set it up so that. We will come at you. And yes. like, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I, I didn't go this last year because I was scared for my physical safety, yeah. not my mental capacity to handle microaggressions, but my actual physical safety because they threatened it. These, and they're just allowed to go out and do that. And, you know, all the quote unquote good white people just don't do anything about it. And no. these people, you know, you may not be them or identify them, but if, you know, if you're fair family and this is what you're allowing to happen, then that's what you are too. I mean, that's what the organization is. That is yeah. what is happening. And it's too often we, the marginalized horses, as we call ourselves, just gallop off into the wilderness because it's easier to do that than take on this sort of personal like attacks to, to go through this kind of trauma. And I don't think we could have done that individually is, is because no. we've been in solidarity with each other and we've had each other mm-hmm. to support that we've been able to get this far at all. Um, and it's up to them where that goes. I mean, they have board elections coming up in November. Their cutoff to register to vote is in September. We'll see what they do. Um, yeah. I mean, it's up to their membership though. Yeah. There's the, yeah, I just like, wanted to point out, I wanted to point out that there's never good, there be enough time to give the people listening or watching the full context, right? Because it's it's since it's incarnation, but like to something that like stands out to me. I'll keep it short, Britannia, because we always talk at the same time. Um, <laughs> we do. I mean, no. Um, but uh, I just, the the thing that stands out to me as like this, just like true. It's just it's a laziness about it that is insidious and intentional is that there's this system, right? This board that for whatever reason, they've taken on this volunteer position that gives them defined powers to create policy and effect change and whatever. And they're holding on to this position so tightly, mostly in order to prevent accountability from existing at the fair. Like the purpose is like to, to prevent accountability and to preserve power for their small sets. And so like that seems to be in my perception what they care about. And they don't give they don't give a shit that their bases, right? The people that they're vying for votes for are harassing other members of their community that are are causing trauma, you know, true harm. And and they rile them up and they set them forth. And it it's not they don't even care in my opinion, about the work that they're halting. Like, they don't, it's, they just, like, you know, they have their political party, they have magic, the only political party at the fair. They, you know, ran their platforms to keep people that, you know, I won't say names, to keep people in positions of power that harm other people. They get on the board just to keep those people there. They get on the board to spot, to create a situation where they can fire the only employees actually doing work, right? And perpetuate this harm that they don't even care about. And, you know, if I had thought harder about it, I could have articulated that maybe a little bit better. But, like, it's, it's their base doesn't even realize that the people that they're voting for don't give a singular shit about them and protecting them. They just want to keep their camp spot and get the people that they don't like kicked out of their party. Like, 
Yeah. What were you gonna say, Britannia? Yeah, it's yeah. it's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing, but like I guess sometimes you just have to. Right? But oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, well, Emma, you're speaking to it as well, and Brooks, you were speaking to like the the nice nice liberal white people that uh show themselves to be like behind stuff they have the black lives matter signs in their yards and yet like they voted to be our overseers i mean supervisors of the committee like the nice white people that call themselves like activists and like liberal like radical whatever are the same ones who are requiring everything we do to be coming through their mouths to be coming through their representation and like you know putting forward this this narrative that oh like we as board members are in this really tough position we have to listen to everybody and we have to like find a decision that suits everybody that is such bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. how are you able to do that? You can't make a decision that suits everybody. You have to choose what your values are and decide who you're going to represent and, and make decisions in alignment with that. And like vying for these fake votes, like something Melissa, who's not here, spoke to was about how, how are we going to call ourselves a membership organization when like how many people vote like 1300 people or something out of us. What is it? 60,000, like 20, 2300. And there's like 4,000 registered. I don't know. Uh, the elections committee. Yeah. Would know. And I, but it, it's, it's a paltry amount. Yeah. Next to nothing. We have something like 50,000 volunteers and like something like 2000 people voting and something like a hundred ish people who know what's going on and come to meetings. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're representing, and, and we call it, and it's a democratic tra- process, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Elected officials. Yeah. Legally. Well, but voter rolls are purged. I mean, like classic Republican voter suppression techniques are alive and well at the Oregon Country Fair. You don't vote into yeah. elections, you're booted from the rolls. I mean, there's a there's an effort to clamp down on them. They don't want you to vote or be involved. I mean, they have their sphere of influence. That's their power, not yours. I mean, it's all the credit for none of the work. I mean, it's the same, same old story. It just goes down the line of white supremacy culture, the tenets, those, you know, that, that mm-hmm. re- the research that's been done. It goes right, the, the, the hoarding of power, the either or thinking, the, you know, I mean, the, the idea of perfectionism, you ha- it has to be a certain way or it, do- it doesn't get done. You know, the, the, the written word, all of the things, it's gross. Mm-hmm. And the, the, beside it being gross is that they're defending it as if it's almost like this is funny because I have small children in my household now and so it's have you ever like had a small kid who has had has gone to the their, their, in their diaper you smell it and you're like mm-hmm. you know it's there right and you're like honey did you go poo poo right and they're like nope <laughs> and you're like are you sure you know the potty training part are you sure you didn't mm-hmm. go poo poo because I smell poo poo nope <laughs> they're like completely like nope didn't poo and you're like mm, 
I'm going to have to check your diaper, right? And they're like, no, don't check my diaper. This is what it reminds me of. I'm sorry. That's what Here's this the thing. Everyone poops. <laughs> <laughs> it's unavoidable. <laughs> we're just trying to teach you to get to the potty so it's all good for everybody. That's what we're trying to do, okay? <laughs> and wipe your own butt. That's all we're trying to do. <laughs> we know it's a process. For God's sake. We know it's hard, right? <laughs> yeah. We know you have to learn the steps. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, so I, it's, I know it sounds funny, but I literally think of this as such an infantile um, with, with this massive impact. And the problem with this impact and that we're speaking on is that, like you said, the 150 people who show up, no. It's the way that they have suppressed this, uh, this abuse and the way that they've kept it in the closet and kind of this able to like push this back onto us mm-hmm. and, and somehow really label all of the issues of the entire fucking 50 years <laughs> of the yeah. fair is because of us. Mm-hmm. And then people are going, yeah, that's terrible. And I'm like, are you high? Like, how can this all <laughs> add know. up? Like, probably. you think, yes. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that's, that's the problem. Nine times out of ten, yes. they are absolutely high. <laughs> don't give highness a bad name. Uh, true. <laughs> right? It's not fair to the indigenous cultures that have cultivated these plants. True story. You know what? Thank you. Thank you. You are absolutely right. Thank you. (laughs) I love your potty training analogy. It's excellent. I'm sure they'll find so much offensive things within it, but it's so great. I mean, so I'm there with it. And what, what I'm going to tie it into is the gaslighting effect. Like that two year old is trying to get it over on you and be like, no, something that I smell, you you don't smell that, you know, (laughs) but like, and so, so that's what's absolutely happening here with adults and with an organization. And I'm just going to bring it back real quick. I'm going to speak for Brooks because every white man needs a black woman to speak for him, right? <laughs> but like, so, so like, he was speaking about this December 6th presentation, and there's been all this drama within the community about our presentation as a committee. And like he said, we all met together, and Brooks volunteered to be the person to present the information. And he had a group of black and brown and, you know, disabled and awesome women, mainly, saying, hey, that'd be awesome if you want to speak our presentation. It's not like he's speaking for us, but like we all created this together. Right. You get to be the one because that, that was his point was like, I, you know, they already are like memeing, or, you know, Aisha's face and they're already saying that, you know, Yana's angry and Bertani's angry every time they talk, right? Angry brown women. So like, let's let the white guy do it because they can hear that, right? And so he did the presentation for us. And because of course they don't like the content, rather than actually focusing on the content, this is when a lot of this gaslighting begins, which is that at the end, and uh, sorry to speak for you, Brooks, sorry, not sorry, at the end of this presentation during meeting, of not, not presentation, at the end of this meeting, this board meeting, during meeting evaluation, when everybody, anybody who wants to can say a little something, something about what they felt the meeting went, Brooks says something in his personal comment time, not specifically affiliated with the presentation, about that's why you don't want to have a token board member. Right. And what is taken by this comment 
is what, what people interpreted him saying as a white man was the only black man on the board is a token person or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Like the interpretation was so not at all what he's trying to say. And this is like possibly the only openly out gay man in any fair-ish leadership position in terms of like these hundred or so people that go to meetings that we're talking about, right? So like, hi, Brooks, you're a token. Like we we reference these words, right? Like I'm the token so-and-so, he's the token so-and-so. Like this is, this is a word that in a lot of, you know, anti-oppression kind of work has d- definitely changed from back in the day when we know like some many black elders feel like you don't say that at all because it's like, a disgrace within the black community to be a token, right? Or to be tokenized. But when we're talking about this as an institutional situation that happens in many forms, like we don't, we as black people don't only get to claim that anymore. There should be sensitivity around it, but there are many, there's a token woman at the uh, meeting space. There's all sorts of tokenization that happens, right? So anyway, they take a mellow comment in our minds anyway, as a direct affront to a one sitting board member and start in, talk about the gaslighting, start in on this man about how racist Brooks is, how he says he's speaking for black women, how, you know, he's racially attacking a board member and all of these things where one of my favorite things about this man's story, Brooks, and one of the reasons why I love him is one of the first things he shared in a meeting space, hopefully it's okay to share, but about your family's kind of history. He's talking about the lineage of his family owned a plantation. And as white people, what does that do to you? And this is a man who's obviously, you know, out as gay, has an interracial racial partnership, you know, as trans kid, like has dealt with the gamut of many different oppressed in terms of intersectionality, has dealt with many forms of oppression and still at a meeting was able to speak on like where his core of being anti-racist comes from based upon kind of his family's lineage and what he's trying to kind of change, which in my mind, it was just like, oh, ding, ding, ding. This dude is awesome. Like to be able to have that level of accountability and to be able to come from that place and be wanting to go to this other place that shows like a glimmer, a massive shimmering beam of hope for other white body people that could maybe take a little accountability from where they're coming from, right? Like this could be a really like bring people together situation. And then this is the man who they're choosing to say is, you know, racially attacking someone, someone who's literally in the process of supporting people of color to change an organization for the better, for all of the people, right? And so the gaslighting that goes on during that situation to completely change the conversation from any of the demands, any of the points we were making, right? Like ways in which we can make this place better, the things we're pointing out that are real concerns about various you know, staff or management and the way they've been dealing with the committee in general, in terms of the change we're trying to commit or the change we're trying to create and treating it like it's a crime we're gonna commit, right? Um, that the the direction of the conversation was totally shifted right and that's happened multiple times so this conversation has turned into this committee trying to destroy the fair and that presentation was trying to destroy this event and and we've got people that are racially attacking right brooks was attacking because he said token i was attacking because i referred to someone as my n-word n-i-g-g-a don't be offended if you hear it but i said nigga not nick which are very different words. Very. And we should be able to speak on these words without massive, you know, stress, even if they're stressful words, because you can tell the intent and you can use your logic, right? Mm-hmm. And so because I refer to someone as my N-word with an A, not an E-R, 
And because he referred to someone as, or in general, the positionality of being a token in any situation, all of a sudden we are racially attacking people. And this is this rumor that is being spread at all these venues, again, with the gaslighting. Not at, Many times we were said that we were gaslighting by being racist and telling them about the racism. And so you get to a point where you really, like, you're, you're taking loony yeah. pills. Like, you don't know what, how to even communicate to people that are, taking everything so far mm-hmm. off it is complete divide and conquer divisive tactics distraction tactics is what it feels yes. like i'm sitting here like is this a plant from some like like cia like country fair is not that big like y'all are like trying to dismantle something that was mellow and productive yeah. and could have been a really good thing for this event and here we are literally changing the conversation to lies and mm-hmm. zero understanding and that's that two-year-old thing of like the indignant attitude of trying to hold on to the fact that we should demonize this committee of volunteer professionals and activists rather than focus on what this committee is trying to talk about and trying to lay out multiple versions of many different plans on all sorts of levels of the system and the infrastructure of this event that could actually create positive change. I mean, we hit a... We hit- when Brooks was represented as represented the committee, I love that you broke that all down because to me that that was I mean a very centerpiece of the end for me. Like that, you know that I was y'all know. Look, <laughs> I I when I get to the point where I ain't got nothing to say. That I mean, you know, I talk all the time, but when I I don't have nothing else to say to you. I, I don't, there's nothing productive that's going to happen next, right? Like, I, I, we didn't have gone too far past productivity for me. Now I'm, th- now I'm thinking violence, and I don't really do that, right? Now you didn't got me in a place I don't want to be. But you're not going to be making me feel crazy about something I'm trying to help you with. I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to walk alongside because I know how difficult it may be. But when you, like... The, the, when they decided that we had used a basic term and twisted it into an evil attack, right? By yet a, a marginalized person. And by the way, that, that like you said, when, that, when, the term, when it came out being like, oh, he's using this word, it actually wasn't by a marginalized person who first said it. It was by Emma's best friend. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, inside joke, you guys. Absolutely okay, not so Emma's good. best friend. <laughs> no, not her best friend. Let me tell you what. Okay, anyway. Back to <laughs> back to the person who actually said it was a, was a white woman. Like, come on. What are you talking about? Right? And then backed up by some confused black dude. Like, don't get me started because I don't want to talk about my own people but we got work to do ourselves and when you are lost in your identity and you are lost in your and and you mm. are then being put up by other white people as a representative of something that you don't even understand yourself and then you have too much um pride and lack of of humility to say don't utilize me in a position I'm not comfortable with, but instead you lean into the power that you think you have 
and pretend to do something that you don't know anything about, I'm watching you and I'm grossed out. So instead of me talking about you, because as a black woman to a black man, I'm just going to close my mouth. But you know, you know, and I know that you are full of shit, right? And so that part for me, I can't, I can't go far with that because now I'm expending energy on a two-year-old who's trying to tell me he don't smell like shit. I smell it, bruh. <laughs> you do. You have it. You need your diaper changed. Like that, that's what's happening, okay? And so that's the part that, like, it got to the point where that now I don't have nothing to say but violent shit, so I can't say, now I got to go. Like, you didn't put me in a place I have to go now, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's, now it becomes self-preservation, and now we mm-hmm. were the people who were trying to, to create a safe space to talk about difficult conversations. And then all of a sudden now we're running for the hills trying to cover our heads from being hit. And, you know, because we brought up something sore. We hit a spot dead in the center. And that's why it blew up like that. We got right to the core of it. And enough people heard us, and that was, that was the end of that. We actually made it to the core and said it out loud. And by that audacity, clutching all of the pearls, that we would ever get out of that meeting unscathed. Mm-hmm. It's this, like, so the Oregon Country Fair is a hostile work environment. Whether you're volunteering or whether you're paid to be there, the Oregon Country Fair is just a hostile place to do actual work if you're doing everything within the parameters that they've set before you which is yes 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 never no right it's nod your head smile do your task and be loyal past abuse that is like that is my interpretation of what i've come to understand the fairy beat it's like as long as you are doing everything right the way that we want you to we'll call you a rock star we'll give you a backstage pass and we'll be like you are one of us right um and the second that you say no you know you're this enemy right the second you're just like wait but maybe we should be able to say no to some things like maybe we should be able to talk about tokenization maybe we need to define some words and come to a mutual understanding maybe it should be okay to point out when somebody has harmed another person maybe we should talk about sexual assault Maybe we should talk about the fact that the Oregon Country Fair was a super spreader event and that it's still a pandemic, right? Maybe we should, but the second that you try to do that, whether it's in person at these meetings of 150 people or in one of their unofficial forums, some of them run by fair officials. So how unofficial can they really be? Um, Of like 3,000 to 15,000 people, you know, the second you say something that goes against the group thing that is essential to the core of preserving the dream of the fair, you become an enemy. No matter how much love and blood and sweat and tears you put into it, no matter how much work, no matter who you are, the second that you try to challenge this facade, you just become an enemy. Like, I don't know how many times, you know, I said, like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be throwing a super spreader event in the middle of a pandemic that is the number one disabling event in human history. Like, perhaps not. And they were just like, just stay home, right? 
Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just loyal past east. And it took a really long time to see that. And it's just yeah. devastating. You know, we all, we are almost at two hours and we didn't get to talk. I want to talk more about the NIGGA thing. Cause that mm -hmm. with the person that I just spoke about, um, the, being a black conversation, right? Um, I have so much, literally we could have a whole podcast on that incident alone. For sure. For sure. And maybe we should, but that, okay, I'm not going to speak to it because it's your, it happened to you. And I know that it was uh, two, we're almost at two hours and I know people are probably, they're listening. It's, it's interesting. We're interesting people. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, it is almost midnight as we're recording this, just so y'all know. It's 1133 slash vicious number as we speak on it. Um, so I'm going to let you, uh, if you want to speak on it further, let's, I want to give some time to that piece. And, um, it, you know, Emma, with what you said with the super spreader, everyone I knew who went mm -hmm. got COVID. Almost yeah. everyone. Almost everyone. Um, I, I could talk for 3 million hours about that, but everyone knows what it is. And yeah. 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 So, like it's. It, yeah, so it wasn't like a, like you were talking into the air. Like, I mean, people can't, you know, and anyway. Um, so anyway, Iana, I wanted to give you some time on that. And I know, Brooks, I, I, we, I feel like we've kind of talked about the six. I want, I want to give it, maybe we need to do a part two. Um, so, like, I, I just, you know, I wanted to make sure that we, we talked on some big points. And that, for me, as a black woman, you know, talking to, and not to, but about a black man, within a safe space and to have a white dude then do what he did like it enough yeah. for me to get violent that's all i'm saying and i didn't i stepped out but when it gets to that point what are we talking about now what are we talking about so anyway Ian, i wanted to give you a little time on that before we say our last remarks sure. before we go yeah well i mean i can try to like do the fast synopsis it's hard like context versus just the whole reality around it like coming from black perspective or just any community building perspective, right? There's so many levels to it, but the quick context is I show up to a meeting, right? That we're having a debrief about what happened the meeting before. I was not present at the meeting before, but what happened in that meeting before is that a particular board member who does happen to have black skin um, was speaking not respectfully and not okay inappropriately to a brown woman who is present here, Bithania, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it was verbal wanna, abuse at the end of the day. I was going to say, you might want to speak to that because I technically yeah. wasn't present. I just heard what yeah. every, everybody's debrief on it, right? Um, but yeah, so verbal abuse at the end of the day, inappropriate to say the least. Um, and everyone who was present there felt it, right? So I'm sitting here just being like, whoa, hearing all this, feeling like this is a person who was, you know, an ally that we kept on trying to work with, even though there have been some issues. Um, you know, with walking away with difference of opinion and whatever, whatever, but like kind of like Aisha was talking about, like within our communities, like within black community, you try to work this stuff out so that you're not like arguing in front of the white people because the bottom line is like, you know, they could shoot any of us or take away any of our rights at different levels and we have to be united in some ways, even when we differ, right? And that's like something that you just are, is learn through generations of oppression and living in a society that may or may not want you dead, right? Um, mostly does. So I refer to this person 
it's I, I believe the statement was something along the lines of I, I thought you were my nigga in terms of translation for folks that don't realize sometimes people of African descent refer to each other in a way that is basically like saying my homie, my friend, my comrade, because we both have been disrespected by this word. We both have experienced the intergenerational trauma of this word. And we know that people are currently still to this day being killed as that word is being uttered, right? And so to in camaraderie, we can use it sometimes disparagingly towards each other, but generally in an uplifting way, correct? My translation that moment was, I thought you were my friend, and here you are yelling at one of our women, basically. Like, what's going on? You're a homie, you're yelling at a brown woman. And everybody has personal-ish that they gotta work out, right? So I'm sitting here not trying to overly judge either side of this conflict. I was not present, so I'm not trying to talk actual-ish about it. I'm trying to speak truth about this. Like, I think there's a big difference between like, shit talk and talking shit, meaning mm-hmm. like disparaging someone purposefully and like speak, getting the truth out mm-hmm. for the, you know, in order to grow and collaborate. Me saying that at that meeting, there was somebody who was in attendance who um, I did identify, I did a bad thing. I um, profiled him as a white man, an elder white man. It's Zoom, you can't see very well. I see white hair, I see lighter skin. He actually is a mixed Filipino descent, right? Mm-hmm. So not white, multicultural. Mm-hmm. Um, I corrected him. He said something like colored people. And I was like, oh, you know, we should say people of color. It, in my assumption, just like, oh, maybe this is an elder white guy. Maybe he doesn't know that we kind of don't really say colored people so much anyway. I still got people in my family that refer to people as like the blacks. And like, eh, we don't only say that anymore, you know, like right. black people, whatever. I wasn't trying to be super disrespectful. I probably came off as somewhat disrespectful. I'm going to speak my mind. In, um, in this person's mind, maybe. I came off as disrespectful. Maybe, yeah, in my, not in my mind. Thank you, B. <laughs> but anyway, this man had showed up at the meeting saying that he was going to write a letter in support because he witnessed this um, verbal abuse that had happened at the previous meeting and just wanted to be like, hey, this is, shouldn't be happening in a professional setting, right? And that was why he said he came to this meeting. And then after hearing what I said, apparently referring to this man as the N-word, because apparently the way he heard it was like, I was saying some very disrespectful stuff and speaking to him as if I was like literally disparaging him for the blackness of his skin or something. I do not know um, his true interpretation, (laughs) but he chose rather than writing a letter of support to write a letter saying these people are saying the N word and racially attacking a board member. And we tried actually Britannia, who was the person experiencing, you know, this verbal abuse and thought was getting support, she actually tried to communicate with this man, with this elder of our community about this. And yes, I'm, you know, some people say the Filipinos, like the black people of the Asian community, like you're, it's, you're not black though. Like, so you don't actually get an opinion on this work. And that's really hard for non-black people to hear and understand, mm-hmm. but it is what it is. If you're not a woman, you don't get to just play around with bitch. Like, and if mm-hmm. you do, people are gonna think you're misogynistic. It is what it is, you, you know? Like, and that's obviously tricky with gender lines, but like, and sometimes it's tricky with black lines, I guess too, right? Perhaps because I am mixed, maybe it's hurt more coming from me and there was an assumption. I don't, I, you know, again, black community stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm, my relationship with the N-word does not have to be another black person's relationship with the N-word. That's right. However, when a non-black elder man essentially narks to the board, writes a letter 
on the auspice of support and then really is saying this went down. The board all knew about that letter. I was never notified. The only way I heard was because Britannia was trying to communicate directly with this man. And the things that this non-black man said was like, if a black person ever said that in his booth, he would cut off their wristband, right? Like this is a zero tolerance for this word issue, mm-hmm. which again, not your direct community and not your place to say that is what it is. So this man basically started a big snowball effect where what was being spread in multiple online forums, as well as multiple recorded board meetings, the standard narrative was that a diversity committee member said the N word called the only black board member, the N word said the N word and referring (laughs) to the only black board member. So any decent person, like I'm sitting here getting mad at myself, like what? A committee member said this to like the way that it was framed absolutely implied that a white body committee member mm-hmm. said the N-I-G-G-E-R, hard R, R-E-R mm-hmm. two different words, people, same root, different words, different meanings, different intent to the only black board member, which would be wildly inappropriate. Right. Like if Brooks had not said token and had said N-I-G-G-E-R, <laughs> there would be a different conversation, right? Mm-hmm. But this is not at all what happened. But literally for nine, and it was still going on months, this rumor was spread that completely, along with this token statement, oh, look, the white man did this, and oh, a committee member did this, this misinformation was spread not only by multiple community members, but by that board member himself. Just and wild. I still to this day do not believe i i have a very hard time believing no matter how much you try to gaslight me that this black man truly thought one of us called him the n-i-g-g-e-r word no way he knows us yeah like that is not going to happen and if we can't as women and as people of color debrief a verbal disagreement, abuse, however, whatever, which side wants to say it, when we know based upon issues of oppression and based upon justice work, what that was, like, I can be verbally abusive. And if I am, I need to be able to own that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you're a terrible person forever. A woman is telling you what she experienced. You don't get to pretend like it wasn't a level of abuse if somebody felt abused. That's not how this works, right? So if we're literally trying to debate this in a safe space, And part of what I felt like I was trying to bring to this committee and to the fair in general is a level of accessibility. And personally, I love vulgar words. I like to swear. I use swear words all the time. Hip hop stuff, Mm -hmm. right? I love, I don't mind saying the N word in a positive light. Part of that might may come from living in a super white space, but also being very connected to my, you know, black family and roots. Like my family often is professional levels aren't trying to say that unless you're within the community. And I broke that rule. I can own up to the fact that as a black woman, I knew better than to bring our community stuff into a white space. Mm-hmm. However, I'm a little indignant and was a bit like, you know what? I'm making this our space. Like mm-hmm. y'all can feel a little uncomfortable because this is how we feel all the time. And at this, in a diversity committee meeting yeah. of a counterculture event, I don't think I should have to hide 100% of who I am. I think y'all should be able to hear what I'm saying. And if I have a couple swear words, or I say, my nigga, this is not disparaging the words that I'm actually saying, the content. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. this conversation, again, with the distraction tactics, just like what happened with Brooks, just like a lot of stuff, you know, Emma would bring up, Johnny, a lot, Aisha, all of us would bring yeah. up. The, it's kind of this distraction tactic where all of a sudden mm-hmm. we're having a massive conversation about language to the point that they were trying to pass motions within this board saying that you can't use any slur ever, any reclaimed word. That would be queer. That would be bitch. That would be, I mean, I, my girlfriend's mm-hmm. what up sluts? Like there, there's, we, people are allowed to reclaim words yeah. they were disparaged by. And I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. Well, my, my, the bottom line of the end, end result of my point, because, oh, yeah, you're right, we could go on forever, was that in retaliation for what they felt, again, this ties back into the gaslighting situation. They're feeling like Brooks and what I said, what we're saying is attacking racially. They're saying this over and over again, that we racially attacked someone, right? And in retaliation for those alleged attacks, the things that were said and written about us, and I have a list of them, mm-hmm. uh, just, just the ones around, around me and my partner, because uh, my sweet little partner also said the N-word in a meeting, not meaning to, trying to literally explain. He said his sentence was, I've been referred to as my nigga, trying to explain that it isn't always, you know, he didn't realize you, know, you have to say N-word in board meetings, right? And so they jumped on him and all of a sudden he needs to be publicly spanked and he should be revoked his, and everyone's questioning his ethnicity and this whole mess, right? This is months later. But all of the things that were said in retaliation to our alleged attacks were so much more offensive and so yeah. much more racist. Yeah. And just because they were not using specific racial slurs or whatever these slurs are that we reclaim, they were using nice white words, but they were absolutely horrific and offensive. And I could I could start listing them if we need to, but we probably don't have the time or the space. <laughs> but like, so that's the point again with the gaslighting. It's like y'all are attacking, so we're gonna attack you to show it ain't cool to attack. It's literal insanity. So, yeah. <laughs> No, no, I'm, I'm glad that you explained it because that's, I mean, we know it and I want people to hear it. And I'm, I'm almost sure that there are people within this realm, the, the, the spectrum of racism. And I, and I teach this in my classes all the time. There's no one here who is white bodied, who isn't racist. It's about mm-hmm. the spectrum of racism that you understand. So there's that, the, the low level understanding of, of, anti-racism, but really the low level of understanding of white supremacy culture mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. we were up against. And that to me is even people who will hear this podcast will hear that story and they're going to have to wrestle with what you said yeah. because mm-hmm. allowing someone the freedom to show up the way they see fit is extremely difficult for mm-hmm. people who live within this culture, right? It doesn't actually matter what that is. Just to allow you to be you is very, very hard for people who have privilege and of the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. And that alone mm-hmm. is an issue that has nothing to do mm-hmm. with you, right? It has nothing to do with any of this. It has everything to do with them and the culture and the privilege and the, and the, uh, uh, you know, and the dissonance that that privilege provides. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, Britannia, were you going to say something before we get, before um, we wrap it up? A minor detail. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this actually, Anna. So this elder white man you were speaking, or white passing Filipino man that you were speaking of, um, that narked you, his reason for being so um, upset about the N-word is because he had this racist father who would say the hard ER 
word all the time. And so it's just so ironic, but also like such a great representation of how some folks, like especially folks who are like on the less oppressed side of the spectrum, like people who have like male privilege and like white passing privilege, like how they do anti-racism. They do anti-racism on their terms. They do like supporting of black people to their concept of, of black people, not actually listening to what they're saying. Right. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, as far as like the verbal abuse situation, I mean, what makes something abusive isn't necessarily like, I feel it was abusive. Like the definition of abuse is something where power and control is used to get someone to do something or feel a certain way. So like, you know, this board member's positionality as a larger bodied man and like having this positional power as a board member, like, and using that in like the way that he was speaking to me, like, yeah, it was verbally abusive, but you know, I've done abusive stuff. I harm people all the time. I make mistakes all the time. Like, it's not about the fact that he made a mistake. It's about this like repeated pattern and this refusal to, to, um, to talk about it, you know, trying multiple avenues. Like here we are on the internet saying like, okay, yeah, this board member is abusive. Like so much time and effort and just like careful, like honoring of, of him and his trauma stories and like at so many angles, like trying to figure this out amongst us. Um, and just like fair itself, not having any structure that would support something like that. And like, I think it's just this perfect storm too that I hear us speaking to in this like black board member entering an all white board, like around the 2020, like around the time that like all of our work is really gearing up and people are really starting to be more open to it. Like it was this perfect storm of shit going down because white people do not know what to do when people of color don't agree or they're hearing different perspectives or we're like, we're dismantling their idea of the POC monolith. And, um, and when you have an organization that's like, yeah, diversity, like put, um, put a brown or black person in the seat of power. And yet they haven't done anything to change the seat that they're sitting in. Like chaos is bound to ensue. And that's what we're seeing. Like, so it's not even like this board members, like, you know, of course we're all responsible for our stuff, but at the end of the day, it's like, if, the organization was using their resources to help us, like we would not be in this situation. It's not even about him or the personality or the stuff that happened. Like it's about that this organization cannot hold us and they can't even admit that they can't hold us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciate that. And at the same time, you all know how I feel about that one individual person. No, I mean, you know, I want to be petty because this is my damn show and I can do that. So, like, I... Well, the systems can... there are, you know, I sat through three hours of mediation with this person. I mean, time out of my day to go and, like, we work it out, we get an agreement, we sign the agreement. He doesn't like the words he hears out of other people's mouths that night in a meeting. It's thrown away the next day. And it's, like, basic shit. Like, we, I, we affirm each other's humanity and... Um, we want to work together, you know, on the work of the diversity committee. Can't even stand by another person's humanity for 24 hours. Um, is signed by two mediators, you know, 
like when the leaders and the board members aren't even going to like respect the own, their own processes and they're just going to throw them out when it's inconvenient for them personally or when they can have some other thing they can use to keep keeping game power um then what's the point i mean and i also want to add too like we all know we know who we're speaking of and we're trying to be respectful we are being respectful by not naming these people um and and i do want to say we have i think that there's a centering of this particular person because for one he's put himself there and two he insists that he should be there and three there are multiple white women on the board as well who are not only propping his mm-hmm. tokenism but parading it um and to me as a watching it um i think it's sad i find it humiliating for him and for anyone else who who wants to represent the work in that way um and the stance that the group itself the entire group takes is one of the oldest display of internalized oppression that black people have tried to shake for so long and to witness it pisses me off And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, without going too far into it, because we're like I said, we're already up to two hours here without going too far into that, because that could be a whole other podcast in itself. It's like it just it's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. So I don't want to make it like end on a note that we're like focused on this one person, because like as Batania said, you know, the the institution itself, the 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 structure the culture, mm-hmm. um, the the values of this institution of the Oregon Country Fair all center in in oppression, you know, all mm-hmm. center in hierarchy and um, and really just a space of of violence in several different ways, and mm-hmm. it coming through this one particular person, this one particular group, or this one particular board, and us was like a it, it was like a culminating event. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I do think that perhaps if we had a representative voting party, like a group, or even transparency <laughs> in anything that the fair did, we may have had a different outcome. Yeah. But I, I want to say from the outcome that we did get, most of us have, I don't know if most of us actually have it, a few of us have have um left the committee i have left the committee permanently i will not go back um emma did you leave i mean so we've not all of us have left permanently but i think most of us have is that right yeah i don't i don't go to work stop what my my line was that i won't be doing any work i won't be going to any meetings and i just haven't resigned officially so as to not hinder this facilitated meeting process that will never happen it just won't you know it'll it'll be and if it does happen it'll be two years from now like that's just the reality of it like i've been in a grievance with another board member for eight months process right and so like that's where i'm at is like i've just not done anything and they just finally noticed that we weren't going to meetings did they just notice emails they just noticed wow that we really haven't been going 
And so if that doesn't tell you, yeah. So I haven't officially resigned, but I have an email written. Oh, I, you know, I said I wouldn't go if they were going to report our meetings because of how you were treated, unless they had some kind of safeguard in place to keep us from being harassed by these harassers in, you know, in cyberbullied. Um, oh, you mean how I was treated when they screenshotted my face? Right, uh-huh. exactly. Uh-huh. Um, because, they, I mean, they just at the last meeting are still trying to get access to these uh-huh. recordings so they can do that very thing and go through and selectively pick stuff out and, and freeze frames and take words out of context and strip all meaning from what we're trying to say. Uh-huh. And so what, if there's no protect from protection from abuse and you're going to, like, open us up to more abuse by, by the way we're being supervised. Like Britannia was saying, we can't speak to the board anymore as a committee. It has to go through bo- these board members. We can't, um, like all of our meetings have to be recorded. So like, I'm not going to engage with you anymore. And so mm-hmm. I don't want to like throw everything away and resign because I'm not like, I don't even feel like you deserve that really. Like you, you don't deserve anything. No. Like, yeah, you, nope. have, you have abused me. You have harassed me. You have like, tried to tarnish my reputation. You've given me high blood pressure. You have, you have like treated me like absolute crap. You don't even deserve my resignation for nope. me. Like, I mean, like I, I just, it's, I still can't believe that a group of like ostensibly rational humans, like just watches all this happen to some of the most marginalized members of their quote unquote family and just whistles on to their festival mm-hmm. and smiles and has a great time and just poor you. That that must be so hard for you. Thank you for trying for us. I'm, I mean, I, I just, haven't seen it. I believe I, you. I didn't experience, I it didn't happen to it. me. So, you know, like, I mean, I just, I, I'm kind of in a screw you place. Like, um, right now, I guess is how mm-hmm. I would describe it. And I don't even have, like, the, the resignation letter would need to be a 12-page page essay. <laughs> um, I do not have the to write that right now. Manifested. I'm not doing it either. Uh, Mary Drew. <laughs> Mary Drew resigned. Mary Drew didn't. Mary Drew. Mary Drew. I knew she would. Mary Drew was a real one, actually. Yeah. Um, and ever since yeah. has been. I saw her today. She oh, nice. Yeah. I I'm not I'm doing the same thing, uh, Brooks. They can kiss my ass. I I won't write a fucking thing, and I won't write it because you won't pay me for the energy it takes for me to write what I really want to write. I shouldn't have been there anyway. You wasted my time thus far. I'm not showing up. I wrote. Don't don't send me email. Don't include yeah. me in emails. Stop sending emails to the, take me off. Is what I said. Reports of abuse keep coming, right? I mean, up until this last month, we're still getting reports of people of color and queer people getting abused by people in this organization because they have nowhere else to go. And they think Mm -hmm. we're the closest thing that they feel safe going to uh, for accountability in this organization. And women. There's like... And women. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And don't have anywhere to go. And and here we are having to say, I'm sorry, but we can't take the abuse anymore either. There's no recourse. Right. Sucks for you. And yet... (laughs) Yeah, and yet here's the fair creating BIPOC sanctuary and rainbow connection. See, we're good to black and queer. We're good to BIPOC and queer people. Yeah. Um, You know, putting forward this facade to try and like, you know, be with the times, bring the people in. um, And yet the systems are even worse than they were three years ago to, to help folks when shit goes down. Yeah, I mean, the, again, that's another podcast on how that was created because um, mm-hmm. I, you know, was a part of that of watching the folks. I was a part of the crew of people who were trying to put together the BIPOC and Rainbow Sanctuary, but I wasn't. 
I was wary of it then as well. And but it wasn't something that the fair, even for the folks who were doing that, the fair didn't go, yes, that's a great idea. It took years to convince that they needed mm-hmm. to have that damn sanctuary there. Mm-hmm. And then the sanctuary be absolutely ineffective for the purpose of what once we got to 2020 and forward, completely purposeless, I think, in my mind. Like, not in the way that, I mean, why? Like you, like you said, why have that there when the reality of the fair is this, right? Yeah, how interesting is yeah. it that when they really started to, like, dig their heels in as deep as they could on mistreating us is when they allow them to have mm-hmm. the sanctuary spaces. Right. right. It's very no. convenient. Very convenient. The result, and that's my issue. Well, I guess like to kind of wrap up all some of these things that we were saying is like the biggest issue isn't necessarily individuals or the myriad of stories of what of harms, uh, you know, membership have experienced or people attempting to volunteer in committees like we were all talking about. The issue mainly is the response and based mm-hmm. upon the lack of like actual infrastructural support and actual training and capacity to deal with these issues, the response ends up being silence and silence yeah. is consensus. So if you can like the result of our presentation and, you know, all of our racial attacking or whatever they want to call it is that they like Brooks was saying, they're recording the meetings and you know, we're not allowed to make presentations to the board directly anymore. It has to be done by a board liaison who, unfortunately, our board liaisons are awesome people, but have not been able to be supportive in (laughs) any way, shape or form. They have not stood up for any of the things that were said or written about us or done about us. It's always about, it's a two way street and there's two sides to the story. And everything that is said is super moderate and super not accurate. And that's the biggest issue is this response. So if the general membership doesn't know or understand the full context of the story, and if the people in power, positions of power, and mind you, many of these people are also volunteers, right? So again, with infrastructural issues. So you can't like hate on the volunteers too much, but any decent human who's choosing to do this volunteer job should have a decent response to some of these issues. And when you have all of the most marginalized identity people a part of this committee not attending the event and not even wanting to attend meetings. I did go to the last meeting mm-hmm. and the same thing happened. It keeps happening where I tried to speak on again. Our voice essentially is like, Hey, take accountability for these issues, support the people that are being harmed. And of course, what did they do? They pick apart everything I say, you know, say that I'm pontificating, write things in the chat about the things that are being said, and how unfair the meeting is and how I'm getting more time to speak than board members and this and that. And we're talking about board members that have been mm-hmm. throwing misinformation allegations and essentially getting, you know, mobs on the Internet to disrespect us wholeheartedly on so many levels. So like yeah. again, the response is completely inappropriate. And the bottom line, the effect for the event was that none of us showed up and all of them still got to be there. All the ones that are doing a lot of the actual targeting and the actual attacking got to be present. The guy who mm-hmm. said that I racially attacked homeboy, they he's there. You know, the guy, homeboy himself, he's there. He said it was one of his top three fairs mm-hmm. ever. And here I am trying to bring anywhere from you know, 15 to 25 different people together, multiple different identities and trying to create a venue for like the youth at the fair. And I've got tons of kids involved in my crew. 
I, we aren't there and we're not able to create that mm-hmm. space that presence for the brown kids and the hip hop kids and the, all the people. I mean, hip hop is a very intersectional <laughs> thing in itself, right? Like that community space isn't offered. That community space, you know, Brooks was involved in in terms of, you know, queer spaces, the justice booth, you know, social justice stuff. Aisha was involved with all of the, we're just not there. And what is the response? And do they care? Or are they just like, oh, yeah, we got COVID, but it was totally worth it. That part? To quote quote a city board member, since 2018, no marginalized person has ever been tokenized at the Oregon Country Fair. Who said that? A white person saying that. Oh, that's a quote. Oh, yeah. Oh. I was was going to say, what the hell? Okay. I, I that's, that's the response that I would imagine. Yeah. I super appreciate all of you. I always I have from the moment that I saw a new board, I'm sorry, a new diversity <laughs> committee, I was super excited and is just as as a just as I am as excited as you are here with me on this podcast today. I haven't done a two hour podcast in a very long time. <laughs> Uh, so it's, it's yeah, it's right. Yeah, I know we could do this all night. Y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know. So, um, yeah, right. We're just stretching that. more. So, I mean, I really wanted to, to wrap it with saying how much I appreciate your willingness to come and just try to do this on this, on this platform. Try meaning that I, I know just like, I'm sure the folks who are listening can tell that there's so much to this. Um, not only just through the organization, but just like I said at the beginning of this, it's so much of our dedication to this work outside this organization in our personal lives, and our professional lives. And so, yeah, we can sit up here, eyes closed and talk about it and think about it and, and strategize and do all because it's it's every day for us. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I just want to tell you each, thank you so much for taking the time on a Tuesday night, we turned up on a Tuesday, uh, right? <laughs> uh, and um, and just coming out and like and having this moment with us, we need to obviously do more. And we and Iana and I, we need to talk. We need all of us together. Need to talk. There's so much we can talk about, and, and my platform's always here. Like it's this is exactly what it's for. And um, I just appreciate each of you for coming on. So I, I was, if you guys have something brief to say before we wrap it up, before we go, um, but that's my two cents before we go. And I just want to appreciate, give that moment of gratitude for you all. Mm-hmm. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Well, this has been a long time coming. I mean, we talked about doing yeah. this back in December or something. Yeah. So, yeah. That's true. That, like anticipation for... of uh, what's the coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, for all those who hear us and think we're just friends, you know, that's the accusation, right? We're just friends and we're protecting our friends. We didn't know each other. Like, nope. I, I got to know all of you through this. And like, yeah. that, that alone makes it worth it because my life has been enriched by you all. I, yeah. I think we feel that about each other. I mean, we really went through it and we grew as people. The organi- it's a really just a shame that the organization didn't want to grow as well. Yeah, uh, It's true. We would not trade relationships with y'all for anything. Right? Right? No, like, that's, I love that you said that. I don't, I've never even met Britannia in person. I've never met her ever. You know, I think Yana, the last time we actually saw each other, it had been years and years ago, right? 
Yeah. You know, Brooks and I have hung out like half a time. We need to do more for sure. And Emma, I think we've got to spend the most time, but it was like a thousand years ago, you know? <laughs> yeah. I haven't hung out with anyone in person. So right. In so long. <laughs> I like that you said that though, because it's true. Just the solidarity that you can hear, the familiarity between us, you would think that we've known each other, you know? Um exactly forever but we we've just really worked hard for something that's the common good and so that's thanks for bringing that up too well Um, there's a mutual understanding and that's the huge thing and that's like that's the work right of this building up the empowerment and the counteracting all the oppressive systems is when you are on a semi similar level with people there's a mutual understanding of the work and of certain terminology and certain systems of oppression and ways things don't always go right and things we can do to build. And when you can find that with people, then it does seem familiar very fast. And that support system has been huge. And hopefully can spread, you know, maybe someday even the fair could have that level of conscious intellectual (laughs) reactions to things, you know, we can. You're so optimistic. I just love that. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta be, I got like 30 kids still like. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Okay, you guys, don't hang up off the Zoom. I'm going to stop recording. Thank you, everyone, for hung, who hung in with us. I'm, like, tired now. Like, my eyes, I'm like, oh, my God. So thank you for everyone who hung in with us. Who uh, Please leave comments. Please let us know what you thought, how you felt. Um, and I will try to answer as best I can. And um, the next time we get together, y'all, we should do it live so that we can have actual feedback as we talk. That would be pretty fun. Live from Costa Rica. That'd be dope. Live from Costa Rica. I'm totally down. I'm down. Let me unpack my bags and I'll call you and we'll do it. Okay, so you guys don't hang up yet. Um, but for everyone watching, thank you for hanging in. Peace out. Recording stopped. <laughs>